Hello and welcome to the Breaking the Guard podcast with your hosts Robert Drysdale and myself, David Avalon. In today's episode, which is episode number six, we're going to be reviewing the ADCC Submission Wrestling World Championships for 2019. If you're not savvy to them, chances are you don't follow grappling because this is the Olympics of grappling hosted once every two years with 16 of the best competitors in each of the five male divisions and eight competitors for each of the two female divisions along with the super fight. Uh, in this case, it's Andrea Galvao versus Felipe Pena, a previous guest of the show. Now, uh, we're going to be breaking down each of the brackets and talking about our four likely favorites to win each division. And along the way, we also talk about what it takes to win ADCC, what strategies and uh, tactics work best, the advantages of being a fast and loose grappler versus slow and tight, some of the intricacies of the rule set for ADCC, and also the challenges of some of the competitors who are school owners and coaches and also competing, which is a lot to handle at once. Uh, This episode is quite long. It's over two hours. So if you don't care about ADCC at all, this not, might not be the episode for you, but you could skip towards the last 10 minutes to get a synopsis and a summary of everything that we discussed. So I hope you enjoy and you're, you're into this kind of thing. So go ahead and stay tuned. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Today's sponsor is the Kimura Trap System. The Kimura Trap System, you've heard me say it a few times already, but it is the ultimate Kimura submission system on the planet. It was the first one to make a big hit back in 2012, and it's still as relevant and important today. We see UFC fighters all the time hitting it in the UFC. We see it in all stages of grappling. It is an incredible technique, not just because the submission of it is strong, but it's more so that the grip of the Kimura, the double wrist lock, is very powerful and can be used to sweep, pass guard, score takedowns, and of course, transition to other submissions as well. This Kimura Trap System course, which by the way, if you didn't know, I was the guy that made the term Kimura Trap. So (laughs) I'll tip my own hat (laughs) on that one. But uh, it's over 11 and a half hours long. So besides the original course content, I've also added updates whenever I teach seminars, when I come up with new discoveries, or people have shown me new things that I've incorporated into the system. And it's a one-time purchase. You buy it once and you get access to all these updates for the rest of time. And people ask me, how long? As as long as the internet and modern society exists, (laughs) I'll continue to update the course. All right. So if you want to check it out and also get some free videos before you uh, invest in the course, you can go to the website, which is KimuraTrap.com. Again, KimuraTrap.com. Hey, what's going on? I'm David Avalon. I'm here with Robert Drysdale for our sixth episode of Breaking the Guard. And I just came back from Spain. was gone for like 10 days. Living the life. <laughs> Living the life. So. There's a difference between when I travel and when David travels. David travels on vacation. I travel <laughs> in and out the country just for a seminar. Sometimes I'm in the country for like 12 hours. It's, it's not the same. David is living the life. It's definitely a lot rougher when you're just teaching, teaching and yeah i got a record i went to europe one time i was in europe for 21 days and i hit 17 cities 
in oh, wow. 21 days. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a record. That's hectic. Yeah. Yeah. It's hectic. Like, you don't sleep. You eat when you can. It sounds amazing because, like, a lot of times you put this stuff on, like, Instagram and people, because you only put the best pictures. Yeah. No one puts pictures of themselves waiting in line at the airport, losing their luggage, you know, not being able to check into a hotel. This is kind of stuff that happens when you travel because it's so hectic. You get stuck in traffic. You're not posting about that. You're posting about, like, the scenery or like, the good times or whatever. And people are the impression it's a vacation. You know, oh, look how much fun he's having. It's, trust me, it's not as fun when you're, like, at the airport twice a day, you know. And that's assuming nothing goes wrong. And normally, I mean, Murphy is brutal with me, man. When it comes to Murphy, he just does not like me, man. Like, everything that could possibly go wrong seems to go wrong with me. But I'm so used to when I miss a flight, I don't even get mad anymore. Or if something happens, a flight gets canceled, I have to sleep at the airport. I'm like, eh. You know, I've yeah. only missed one flight in my whole life. Really? And it, I was pretty frustrated. I remember I, I was with Enrico Coco. I think we had done a tournament together, and we were exhausted. So we slept right in front of the check-in counter. Yeah. And they didn't even bother to wake us up, you know? And we were, like, right in front of the counter. Wow. I was like, oh, man. This is, but that's how yeah. tired you get. People don't realize <laughs> yeah. the effects of jet lag. Especially, I mean, I mean, I'm big on my routines and my diet, and like I like I normally eat at the same times and all that. When you're traveling, it all gets thrown out of whack. Oh, for sure. And a lot of times, I come back, I'm sick. Immune systems run down because you've been sleeping like three, four hours a night. I think like the worst experience I had was I, was I always wanted to go to Austria, and I was in Austria. It was my birthday. I'll never forget. I was there for like 12 hours, and in 12 hours, I went to the airport. You know, from the airport to the the the. Gym. The, the gym, and then taught the seminar. I got like f- four hours. I celebrated my birthday. Got like three, four hours sleep. Did some sightseeing in the morning. No, no, it was straight to the airport. The, I, the, my flight got delayed, so I got a couple of hours to kill. Went back to the city, did some sightseeing. Jesus. And back to some pictures, you know. That's what everyone yeah. saw on Instagram. And then went back to the airport, and then I was good. But I did all of that in like 12 to 12 hours I was in Austria. It's a ridiculous amount. It's amazing how much you can get done when you're really like, oh, I really want to see Austria. You know, it's press to do it, but yeah, it's it's not easy. Yeah, the most busy I've been for seminars was probably Australia. When I went there, this last one, right? This last one I did was I think in 2017. I the day the moment I landed, an hour later, I had my first seminar. Oh, it was three hours, and then I taught another seminar an hour after that one. So it's like six hours straight of teaching after coming overseas from. It was like a what, twenty hour flight or whatever yeah. to get from there. So that was pretty brutal, but I handled that well. You know, I, I just like you said, I try to drink as much water as possible. I, to me, I that's thought you were gonna key. say coffee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I do. I drink coffee every opportunity I get. I the, the, the flight. They're like, "Oh, sir, would you like some coffee?" I'm like, two. <laughs> no, I never drink coffee. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, good for you, man. Water, I, I, kombucha. I, I, I grew up a Mormon, so I didn't drink coffee until like I was in my. 30s oh wow yeah i mean i i left the church like early on like when yeah. i was a teenager but it was still not a habit for me to drink coffee because it was just like i don't drink coffee and in my my 30s i kind of like oh, okay i'll give it a go everyone's see what the hype is about and i like can't live without it i mean you believe it you can live without coffee i've done it you yeah. know but like once you're on it just feel like life is not possible without it it's funny man. i'm from miami so you would think I'd be yeah thinking cordovidos and all that never got into it i don't yeah. know i just felt like it was too bitter I'll do it like a little kid, cafe con leche. Cafe con leche, yeah. It, I mean, the, I, actually, I'm not crazy about the taste of coffee. I just like the effect. The way Cubans and Brazilians make is the way I like it, because um, it's very sweet. It's yeah. like candy almost, you know. Yeah. That, that's the way I like it. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it gets addicting. It is. So let's move into 
topic of the day, which is going to be ADCC. We have the 2019 ADCC World Championship coming up in just a couple of weeks now, I think. Um, I, yeah, a couple of weeks from now. And uh, we're super excited, man. Like, this is... Every UFC... Every a, I almost said UFC. Almost every <laughs> ADCC is the best ADCC ever, right? Like, yes. how many times has Joe Rogan said this is the greatest fight of the century? Like, I feel like people say that stuff all the time, right? And, I mean, it's always exciting because, you know, you get a lot of potential matchups that what is going to happen, you know, like matches that people have been waiting for a long time. I feel like a lot of times some of the best matches are the ones that we see quite regularly. So if you look at, like, I was just taking a look at the 77-kilo bracket, like those guys have fought each other a number of times. Like they have, we kind of have an idea of what's going to happen. But they're always like the ones that people are really expecting, like the super fight or who's going to win the open weight class this year. Um, there's always like these, these matches that have never taken place that have the potential to be like really good or incredibly tactical and slow. Yeah. So sometimes people are often disappointed because of the hype, you know, because the, the, the fight doesn't actually live up to the hype or the tournament does not live up to the hype. But this one really, like, I feel that there's like some divisions I'm very excited about. Others, I think that they are, are less, because we've seen them fight against each other so many times, it's less interesting. But the most right. interesting thing to me is like what's going to happen when these two go against each other because we have never seen that or it's only happened once or has happened a long time ago or the last time it was a war. Let's see what happens this time. No, for sure. And, you know, with the tournament format, you just never know how things are going to work out. Like, yeah. like I always said, tournaments are not fair you know, yeah. by design. Depending on your draw on the bracket, you yeah. might have a sweet lineup for your style or it could just be yeah. a brutal path. Absolutely. So every matchup could be different. But I, I do agree with you that each ADCC has gotten progressively better. And I think yeah. that's a good testament to the evolution Absolutely. of the art. Absolutely. But I mean, this happens in all sports. Like if you look at yeah. gymnastics like 50 years ago, the type of tricks that gymnasts are doing now, oh, no, I'm 100%. Away, you know? and, so, oh, and other sports are easier to time, like swimming or like sprinting. You can measure the time. Like like things that are more aesthetical, like gymnastics and, and, and jiu-jitsu, are harder to measure because it's more of an opinion. Yeah. But like things like swimming, you can accurately you know, measure like this guy is like three seconds faster than a swimmer 15 years ago, for example. And, you know, but, but I think that, that all sports are evolved. Anything that is competitive tends to evolve in all different fronts, right? So jiu-jitsu sure. certainly has never been better. Uh, I know we talked about this before, but it's, I, think, it's, I think it's almost insulting to jiu-jitsu when people tell me that jiu-jitsu was better in the 80s and 90s or 2000s than it is now. Yeah, I think it's insulting to the art. You're insulting the art. Like yeah. you're insulting, and that's not, it's not a compliment to the young generation either because they didn't do anything. That's what, it was all of them, the, the new school. And man, you guys did nothing. You guys are literally like, had the, 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 the road, you know, the, the bricks laid down for you to walk that road, man. Like that was so easy. You guys had it handed to you in so many ways. And that's why you're the best generation ever because you're standing on the shoulders of giants, man. Like it was so much harder when there, people didn't have access to that much information. So you can never discredit the people that come from before you, but at the same time, to me, it's like, it's ludicrous to believe that jiu-jitsu was better 20 years ago than it is now. To me, that's insane. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the arguments people are posing are, are just uh, resistance to what they would call like sport techniques. Yes. Yeah. I know a lot of the old school guys, they look at Barimbolo and they're like, oh, this is garbage. You know, now like we've gone too far towards, you know, sport rules or whatnot. But yeah. I mean, are collar chokes yeah. self-defense oriented? Because they were teaching it then. Yeah. That's what they say. Like, Albert is not self-defense oriented. True. I agree. Are collar chokes self-defense oriented? Oh, the guy could be wearing a jacket. Okay. Your, your, the, your life and death 
ability to defend yourself, you know, like yeah. in life and death situations contingent on it being cold outside. <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. it, that's not a good argument for self-defense. But like, I think there's a lot of things that we teach that are not self-defense oriented. And that's okay, man. It's, I mean, I, I like a self-defense oriented fighting style. I've always liked that. But, you know, not everything that, that uh, just because a person doesn't have a, um, a jacket on, like, doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to defend yourself, you know? Yeah. But like the criticism against like a lot of the new techniques to me, I go, I'm two minds about it because I know we're going to get back to ADCC in a second. I just want to finish my point here. But I think that, you know, when it comes to ADCC, uh, when it comes to like jujitsu, we should always lean towards techniques that work everywhere. With that being said, the competition aspect, it is a lot of fun. You know, if you really just want something purely self-defense, I, I say you should just practice MMA. Yeah. <laughs> like right hand, left hook. And like you shouldn't even get into, you know, like sport jujitsu, so to speak. But, um, you know, but that's, it, it's, it's difficult because the kind of culture that it creates is not a culture that is appealing to a lot of people. So that, there's that as well, you know. But I think the way, you, it has to do with how your instructor teaches. I like to teach, um, like a jiu-jitsu, that I like, I, like to, I, I, like to, I like to believe that it works everywhere, right? Something that's going to work in the streets, gi, no gi, MMA, we talked about this before. Yeah. But this is, I think, that where we should be moving towards. That being said, I'll show a burning bolo every now and then. But that's not the core of my program. Right. Like I've, I've had students like Lightwoods get mad at me because I don't show it enough. I'm like, I'm not going to make that the, the matrix of my jiu-jitsu. I'm sorry. That's like a small aspect of it, if anything. My opinion, you know, but people disagree. No, I think you should be open to all the techniques and whatnot. If you're not learning from every part of the game, then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. You know, because you definitely need to know everything that's in it. So, like, even though you're not going to use something like a burn bolo very yeah. often... You still gotta know it. You should still know it. Otherwise, being ignorant of it is just gonna make you weak. Yeah, and not only that, if you're gonna be a good instructor, you should have a fundamental understanding of things you're gonna teach. You know, like I'm not an expert at it, but at the same time, I feel that that is it's like my job to learn to teach my students. Yeah. Even though I would never, I wouldn't pretend to know as much as Paulo Miao does there. Yeah. I think that'd be crazy too. But like as an instructor, you have to have a fundamental understanding. But the, the argument that a lot of the old school guys make, I think they do have. There's a good point there. We have drifted in a lot of ways too far. Not that that old previous generations didn't either. They did as well. But we just got like a whole new, like 10 layers deep into the lapel sweeps and like it doesn't translate into a fight, you know, but. I think it's just like part of the, you know, like if you follow theory of evolution, you're going to have many different like mutations, so to speak. Yeah. And then you're going to figure out, you know, does this mutation succeed long term? You know, yeah. This is kind of like what's going on. There's people going to the bring bowl, leg locks, you know, whatever. And after a certain point, you're going to realize, is this a long-lasting game plan that succeeds yeah. over time? Well, we don't, we're the, again, we're still a little bit early in that evolution, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't have anything wrong against it. But, yeah, you know, I run an MMA school, so... Like, I don't think I've ever, ever had anybody teach a Bolo, but yeah. it doesn't mean, like, I think it's a garbage move or, like, or, no, I think I, like, or like, jiu-jitsu is being, uh, like, sport, you know, or yeah. McDojo or whatever. Like, yeah, no, like, no, it's a valid move. To the contrary, if you put, if you put, um, you know, like, uh, if you if you put Rafael Mendes to grapple with an elite grappler of the 90s, Rafael Mendes was burying Bolo and get his back in a matter of seconds. Sure. Seconds, yeah. like it. Well, it's not even a question that that would happen to me, but you know, I think I think some of the resistance comes out of resentment over the fact that it's too difficult to accept that, you know, that someone so much younger than you is doing so much better. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's it's not it's not once I said I guess it's not a compliment. It's a compliment to jujitsu, not to the person who's actually performing the new technique. You know, like it's 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 not so difficult to repeat techniques that people before you have you know have developed, and now you're just pretty much copying it. So that doesn't take much credit, in my opinion. That doesn't doesn't mean much. Yeah. No, I mean if you just look at the current age of leg locks. Yeah. I mean, I was getting people to tap all over the place with just basic Ashikarami heel hooks. And yeah, because people are clueless. Yeah. yeah. If you grabbed someone like Gordon Ryan or Craig yeah. Jones and threw them in to like late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. they would have yeah. <laughs> ran through everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Just leg locking but that's, but that's, you know, like I'm sure that anyone who's training those techniques is developing new things and as they should be. Yeah. But, you know, like I... I just don't understand why someone gives themselves so much. Because jiu-jitsu works as a, pro, like a process of elimination, right? We're eliminating what doesn't work and we're selecting what works. Yes. What works lingers, what doesn't gets weeded out, right? Now, for you to discover these things, it's easy to go, yeah, you know, um, you know, a leg reap works. And if you apply the heel hook this way or a kimura that way, it's easy for you to say, oh, this is how it is, of course. Because when you're given the best way of doing it by someone who's teaching you, you, have, you don't have to go through the 1,000 ways that you shouldn't do it. I call it the negative lesson. Yes. You've never learned that negative lesson. Whereas someone who's actually you know, developing the technique little by little, they have to try a thousand ways of doing it wrong before they finally figure out the way to do it right. And then they give that to their, to their students, right? Or they put it on YouTube, someone copies it, and then future generations will perfect that technique. But it is so much harder to see because right now, for example, like I would have not had been able to see a lot of the leg transitions, leg lock transitions that are being done regularly. And in fact, I've been doing lately because I'm like watching people I'm learning too. But I had not, I did not see that 10 years ago, yeah. right? And it wasn't because I wasn't training, but it was because I was busy with all the other like 1,000 possibilities from this situation. I didn't see that one that happened to be a very effective one. But once those, the ones that don't work get eliminated, man, it's kind of easy because you're, you're selected. It's been selected already. You already know what works and what doesn't. Yeah. It's so much easier to build on top of that, you know? And then, I don't know, I think that's, uh, I think the, I mean, I remember when I was a purple belt, like we had to watch fights, Dave. And they're like, people wouldn't have like camera on our phones. We had to memorize the techniques that people were doing and go to the gym. Like, what was he doing again? And try to figure it out at the gym what that person was doing because if you didn't see it live, yeah, you, lost you didn't it. see it at all. It was so much harder, you know. So I think that you know, in a lot of ways, people take that for granted, like how easy it is to get information today. Oh, for sure. I know my brother and I. We learned a lot just from filming because we, yeah. we had a camera, and every time we competed, we filmed each other. And we did this from wrestling, like in high school. Yeah, we, we got into that early because when my brother and I were doing mixed martial arts and started doing grappling, most of the time we didn't have a coach. Yeah. So, like, we were learning the negative lessons. Yeah. So, I remember the, I had one match with uh, Gordo, uh, who's a modern inventor, the modern half guard, yeah. so to speak, right? And I didn't know anything about half guard back in 1999. It was just, like, the position between half guard, guard, you were guard using. Yeah, and mount. And, yeah, <laughs> and mount. You know, like, so, like, half guard, like, it was, like, an inferior position in my mind. Like, you would never go there willingly. Yeah. And, of course, he was going there all the time. Yeah. And he ended up beating me by a last-second sweep. And... I watched that match maybe like a hundred times and studied every half guard sweep yeah. he did. And then I made it part of my game. And now yeah. I, I started using the same sweeps he used against yeah. me on all my training partners. But like without filming it, for sure, it would have been really hard. So much harder. To like remember those details or have my brother tell me, oh, this is what he did. You know, like you would lose it. So like having video is such a powerful tool 
Yeah. And then when you have internet, which makes it easy to distribute that video everywhere, it's for sure the reason why everybody's progressing so much faster. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I normally, like, I teach, like, a lot of wrestlers to transition to, you know, MMA, and they come to me to learn jiu-jitsu. And, like, when you say guard to a wrestler, it's almost like blasphemy. Because it's kind of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a corollary for Brazilian jiu-jitsu here. What would be the equivalent? I can't even think of one. But, like, for a wrestler, being on his back sounds like sacrilege. It's yeah. against everything he's been trained to do and think and believe his whole life. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. But at the same time, in an MMA fight, you're going to be on your back. We've seen Olympic caliber wrestlers get taken down in MMA. It's happened. It's going to happen. There's no way out of it. Right? So a lot of times when I teach wrestlers, I'm back to the half guard point. I, I, don't, I don't call it half guard. I call it a single. It's a single leg. And then, like, they fight for that underhook single. And, like, oh, and, then they're, and then and they happen to get that so much faster once you start looking at it that way. Because once you understand what, how sweeps and half guard work and how you're supposed to be trying to come up the whole time and how you, it's, it's a position to get your opponent off balance, a lot of it overlaps with wrestling. A big chunk of it is basically wrestling from the bottom. You're in a bad spot and you're wrestling your way back up. And once you start looking at it that way, then, you know, bottom does not make sense. It's not such a bad position for a wrestler anymore. Not that he would pull into that position, but it's for him, it's basically recovering from a bad position. So that's a perfect example of like the evolution of BJJ. Because when I started training, it was the exact same way. The half guard was, it was a bad spot. It was like you're kind in guard, but almost mounted. Yeah. You know, it's you're in a bad spot. You're about, you're getting, chances are you were getting smashed. And then someone had the idea of getting that underhook and getting on their side. Yeah, no, it's just... And then just that right there changed everything. I think all of jiu-jitsu was changed. It's funny to watch people grappling. I got to see some footage, like, working on a documentary we were working on, of, like, you know, people grappling in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and it's... A lot of it is already there, especially when you watch Kosing Judo. Like, those guys were light years ahead of Brazilians in so many different ways. But a lot of it is just... It's very, very basic compared to today. Like, you know, even like some of the most sophisticated guys, you're watching them, and it's like, it looks like they're blue belts. And it's not a, not, not, not an attack on them. It's these guys, we're here because of them. But technically, that's where the sport was compared to where it is today. Yeah. Even like, I mean, when I say blue belt, I'm talking like Naga tournaments. I'm not talking yeah, yeah. IBJJF ones. Because <laughs> if you're talking IBJJF World Championships, like, <laughs> they not even look like blue belts because no. the blue belts are too good. Yeah, you got to get like Vitor. Yeah, yeah, you got to get like Vitor. He's like, it's, he's not, he's a, just got his purple. Not supposed to be a purple. Or he max. Like, they're purple belts, but not really. You know, because they smoke 90% of black belts out there. But those are the competitive, you know, 20-year-olds who, you know, are standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, they get everything just selected for them. The very, very best things. Same thing for MMA, by the way. And oh, yeah. MMA, is, is that same selection process. Like, imagine the stuff we believed about martial arts in the 1980s and 90s. Oh, and if it weren't yeah, for the UFC, yeah. we would still be believing. Because wrestling was around, boxing was around. A lot of these arts that are that been incorporated into MMA have been around, but that's not the perception people had of MMA. But the selection process proved that a lot of what we thought was effective for fighting was absolute garbage. Yeah. You know, and like I think that finally, and I don't want to mention what martial arts we're talking about here, but it finally lost their place because it is more in the category of folklore than actual fighting. Yeah. Like I said, I call them like art forms. Yeah, it, there's nothing. Yeah. Wrong. It makes you happy. Like it's not. But you can't sell that as self-defense because you know it isn't. I mean, now we know factually that that stuff doesn't work in a fight. Yeah. yeah. And for sure, if I have all my fighters watch UFC 1, 2, 3 and go through the series because 
man, the stuff guys had to do back in the day was so much harder. Yeah. And, uh, in the sense that at first they had no idea what was going to happen. And then you had no time limits, no rounds. Yeah. Pretty much everything goes. You could punch them in the groin, pull hair. And people yeah. forget that. Like, yeah. When they watch like you could hit them yeah. in the nuts. I'm like, dude, you could do a lot more than that. I, uh, <laughs> um, the very first Valetudo in Brazil, what could be considered the first Valetudo. Valetudo, if you're in the... If you have not been following MMA, you know, for a long time, Valetudo is what they called MMA before it was rebranded MMA. Valetudo in Portuguese means anything goes. And before that was Valendo Tudo, which is like a different way of like, you know, using the, ver the, the verb, but means the same thing. But the very first one, I can't remember the date. I'm going to go with 1934, but I could be a little off here. But it was a fight between George Gracie and Chico Soledad. And that fight was the first time they had agreed because previously these matches the cross fighting styles between capoeira and jiu-jitsu or capoeira and judo or boxing and greco-roman these things had existed for a long time but they would normally agree on the rules the day before and normally like you know i would always want the rules that favor my style same thing with yeah, you yeah. we would fight over uniforms gi no gi what can i wear what can i do and this is the first time where george gracie and chico went anything goes like you do whatever the hell you want i'll do whatever i want and they went at it like that was the first i mean that was far more was permitted then than would be permitted in the ufc today yeah that was even more of a real fight that was far more as real as it gets yeah yeah, yeah. Then, you know but these guys were I'm, i don't know about eye gouging but like pretty much anything else i think was was permitted and they went at it george gracie is like I'll, i call him like the unsung gracie no one's ever heard of him but he was like arguably the father of modern mma and at that time he was the best member of the gracie family a lot of people remember him, but we're going to talk about a little bit about him on, in the documentary. But um, yeah, Dave, I think we're all over the place. So let's get back to ADCC. I know we have like a bunch of brackets to talk about. You want to pull it up the, maybe let's start with the 66 kilo one. Yeah. Start talking about that one, or the prospects, the names. And this is like a recent update, right? That's so what like I got this there. This was like, from yeah. August 26, and there's been one change I'm aware of. So the first guy in the list is Ethan Krillenstein, but he is the one that got removed. Yeah, he sustained an injury, so he's yeah. being replaced by Nicky Ryan. Okay, and uh, I, I actually wrote ADCC. I was trying to get Max to replace him. Uh, Max beat Ethan in the tournament. Like you know, Max is one of our guys. Purple belt. He's a very very talented wrestler. You know, grappler in general. But uh, I think Nicky just got the spot first. Yeah, you know. Um, it seems that what ADCC is doing this time around, they're just switching people's. Uh, if they are a teammate, they're getting the first switch, which I hadn't seen in previous iterations. I've I, seen like three or four switches yeah, and where the teammate just took his spot. Their criteria, in my opinion, like I don't mean this as, you know, some form of criticism. Don't take it too, like, I'm not sure there's a great solution for this, but I, I think that there's, their, their criteria for inviting people aren't always the best ones. Because the way I see it, it all comes down to one thing, merits. Are you deserving to be in the biggest grappling tournament in the world? And, you know, I think a lot of times there's, like, who knows who kind of going on. There's, you know, bias towards, you know, where you were born. Um, I know that happened in my case. Um, bias towards um, who you train with, how famous you are. And I, these things really shouldn't matter. I think that you should have a board of people that look at your resume. Yeah. What have you done? Are you worthy of being here because of your skills, right? And that, but I think at some point they kind of go, oh, let's get this guy because people like him. Yeah, he's that's not what this is about, man. You know, like this is not what we're doing here. But um, the um, 
Yeah, the 66 kilo bracket, like you said, Ethan got replaced by Nicky, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And you have Ron Alvarenga from Brazil. He was a South American trials winner. I want to say I've seen him compete recently. I can't remember where. The name rings a bell. I've seen him compete recently. I can't remember where that was. But, um, yeah, I think I, I maybe at the Worlds. I think he fought the, the Worlds if it was commentating. Maybe that's where I remember him from, but I could be wrong. And you have Thomas Halpin from Ireland. He was a European trial winner. Kenta Awamoto from Japan. Triforce. Oh, the Jap Japan always comes in with the lightweights. I feel they always have like some really solid competitors in the lightweight. Japan has had, I believe, one ADCC champion. I think it was uh, in my weight class, actually. 87 kilos. Yeah. With, uh, Sanaike Kuta. Yeah. He beat Solo in the final. He's yeah. a judoka. I think he's a judoka with like, uh, but like, like very, you know, one of those that the style, one of those schools of judo that really spend a lot of time on the ground. Could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, the I mean, school he is. beat him with a pass, just a cross side. Just yeah, but I, yeah, I took yeah. the. I don't know if I didn't. I don't remember watching that fight. I don't know if Solo pulled or he took Solo down. Whatever the case, but Sanaike Kuta is the only Japanese ADCC champion. Um, yeah, and yeah. oddly enough, from a heavier weight class, because yeah, you, you know, mostly most of the Japanese martial artists tend to be in lighter weights, just by genetics. You know, they're, yeah. they're lighter weights. But you think like they have like they have some big Japanese too. They're just like it's not. It's kind of like not the. I think there's smaller people in general. But uh, I would be surprised if you don't see Ishii in here. Ishii is an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. I think he could have gotten in. I know he's fighting MMA. He just fought PFL recently. Uh, I, I've, I've trained with him. I've seen him train. Like, he could be in here. And, you know, surprised he didn't get invited. Well, so we got Paolo Miao. Not surprised he got invited. Yeah, Gio Martinez. There we go. Augusto Mendez. Augusto Mendez. I think, honestly, man, I'm looking at the bracket here, the whole bracket. We're going to go through yeah. the whole bracket, but... And then you can tell me about your favorites. I, I'm going to go with, like, I'm going to put my money on Augusto right away. But we'll talk a little bit more depth down the road. Yeah, Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill. Pablo Montavina. Pablo Montavina. Gianna Grippo. Quit Kikoyan. Bruno Fazzato. Matthias Gabriel. Ty Rotolo. And that's actually, he's a really young kid. I think he just. Oh, yeah, turned. that's right. That's one of those young twins, yeah, he's right? One of the yeah, 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 that's right. That's cool he got invited. Good for him. Yeah. But he's, yeah, he's like. He's like really young, like 18, I'm guessing. I think he yeah. just turned 18. Yeah. yeah. I, remember, I saw their videos when they're like 13, 14, and they're like there always flipping around with each other. Uh, Richard Alicorn and Kennedy Maciel, which is Corbinia's uh, Corbinia's son. That's which right. Also took his spot. Right? Also because took Corbinia oh, was in there originally. Oh. And then I think they wouldn't allow him and his son to be in the same division together. Because, I don't know why. Because there's other people who have, I mean, Right, let me look here. But Corbin, not, he's out. He's not. He's out now. Yeah, yeah. So, he, uh, but I guess he said he stepped out so his son could take his place. Because he okay. didn't want his son not to be able to compete in it. Why would they not let father and son compete in the same bracket? I don't know. Because they have they two like it's going to be guys. a fake in case they do they make do it to the final. Because you have Gio Martinez and you have uh, Keith Kerkorian. They're both 10 planet guys. Yeah, you have a few autos guys. You have, yeah. I think, uh, let me see, at least, I saw at least two autos guys in here. Pablo Mantovani. I mean, Bruno Fazato, yeah. Ty Rotolo. So, yeah, like, I think it's it's one of those things where, like, they feel that if you belong to the same team or if you train together, it's not going to be a real match, and they're really trying to avoid that. I think in this regard, IBJJF does have a better system. Yeah. Like, it's basically two per team, right? And then you go on opposite ends of the bracket. They actually have a really good system. Oh, by the way, just on a, on a side note, before we talk about the 66-kilo division, uh, they have a software that does a bracket now. It used to be a yelling contest. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been born a part of these. I've been in a few of them, and it's like, it's not fun. Basically, the guy with the deepest voice wins every single time. 
I'm talking about Fabio Grugel. <laughs> uh, because it, it turns into a screaming contest, man. Like, you get into your room, and they're like, oh, no, my guy should be seed. And they're like, no, it should be my guy. Oh, but your guy won the Worlds two years ago. Yeah, but your guy didn't win the Worlds at all. No, but he took second twice. And that's the kind of arguments they're having. Like, yeah. who is more fit to be, you know, uh, a seed in the, in the, in the, in the brackets? And this, these meetings are so important because, like you're saying, tournaments aren't fair in the sense where you're getting, you're getting uh, um, you know, all the, uh, 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 the people with, with, with the really so strong teams, they have more say a lot of times. So they're leveraging already the fact that they have a strong team. Yeah. And they leverage on top, which is kind of like, you know, that happens everything in life. You've got more power, you're going to leverage that power to your favor. Yeah, and but, just to give, I don't know if everybody knows this, but like what Robert's talking about is in when they're doing the World Championships, they essentially have all the top coaches from the, yes. the major teams yes. get in and they sit in the same room and then they're, they're doing like a parlay of and how, anyone who's who, going to get yeah. seated by who, you know? And anyone who has a representative in the open weight class can be there. Right. The thing is, if you look at the open weight class, every now and then you're going to get a guy from a small team somewhere in Europe. But nine out of ten, they're all representative of big teams. Yeah. So you have like the, basically the top ten coaches in the world sitting in a room deciding who is going to get seed. And, you know, for example, if you're a current champion, you're already number one. Yeah. You know, and then all the times number two in the bracket will be like current Pan Am champion or the guy who lost to the number one guy in the world last year, like Rodolfo and Bushisha were like, always on opposite ends of the bracket. And these things, and I, I think that's fair, but I'll, down the list, a lot of times for that guy who has not have, does not have good seed, he has to beat five of the 15 top grapplers in the world to be champion. It's just like, it's so much harder. Whereas a guy like Boucher, because he's a champion, he's gonna have much, much easier, right? And because there's a lot of gray area in these meetings, what happens is the terms into a screaming contest, my guy's better than yours, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times the same people over and over end up winning these discussions, yeah. right? Because they, they're just very clever at how the system works and been doing it longer. So now IBJF has a software that does it. It's based off your rankings. Yeah. So then those meetings are over, which is like that's the best thing that's ever happened for jiu-jitsu because they go like this on a button and the software tells you where you go and there's no argument. Yeah, and that's the way it should be done. It should be done, it's absolutely. Objectives, it's objective, you, know, you can analyze it. Yeah. yeah, it's not a, uh, you can't, Accuse anybody of favoritism or whatnot. No, and and it's it's these meetings are not simple, man. Like, oh, that's be fair. It's how do you get a group of like ten people with opposing interests and come up with something fair? Yeah. It sounds easy, doesn't it? I try, try to get ten people with like a completely different view of what you guys should do next, with and very, try to be fair. And see how that very goes. Very conflicting interests. Absolutely, yeah, compli yeah. opposite ends of like you know yeah. when it, a total conflict. So ADCC, I think that I don't know what kind of system they use as far as seating, but I I hope that they're moving. In, towards that direction in their ranking system. The problem with ACC is the whole idea behind ACC is unifying all these grappling systems, yeah. right? You want the Rudokas, the wrestlers, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners, whatever. How do you create a ranking system when these guys aren't even competing? Like if you're an Olympic wrestler, how, I mean, where do you match that with Bushesha, for example? Like exactly. where is that? They don't, they're not, they're different languages, they're different systems. So. I, I don't know what they're using, but like I really hope it's not based off the opinion of one person. I, I think that even the assembly, as messy as it is, is better than the one-person system. Because then your form were subjected to bias. You have one person making all the decisions, then the whole thing falls apart. Then it definitely is going to be some bias in there. If you got 10 people yelling, it's more work, it's a lot of noise, it's, you know, you're going to lose your mind in there, but at least you're closer to a balance because you have people who disagree with you, right? Yeah. It's kind of like the way the political system works. The more people disagreeing with you, I know it's annoying, but it's probably for the better. Yeah. You know? 
Um, yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know what system they're using, but like, David, I want to ask you, what about your favorites here? What do you got going for the 66 kilo division? Oh, man. Again, I would think Augusto Mendez as well, just because he's probably... I know he's done quite a few of these already, so he has the most experience in the field. And uh, I actually got to train with him a little bit in China, in Beijing. We were actually in the same room. It was me, Cyborg, uh, Tanquinho, and uh, Joao. Yeah. It's a rough room to be in. <laughs> oh, and Crone uh, and Hicks and Gracie on the same room. We were there for like a week getting yeah. ready. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think he's definitely... I, I think I like Duncan because he's like one yeah. of those. I, I always like the lightweights who play on top. Not that they don't play guard, but like guys like him, Bruno Malfasini, because it's so much harder to be a top player in those divisions. Like if you look at those divisions, and IBJF would be rooster all the way to lightweight. They're, they're fighting to be on bottom. Yeah. They fight to be on bottom. And then you came a guy like Malfasini and Mendes, and they are they're completely okay with being on top, and they win. And I, to me, that's it's almost like an ultra heavyweight pulling guard and winning every fight. Yeah, you would it'll be, be the well. equivalent. It's like it's <laughs> rare, man. Like how often does that happen? You almost like, man, that's some. This guy's really, you know, did something for for his jujitsu here. It's really unusual. But I'm gonna go with Albendi, uh, Augusto Mendes and Jamil Hill. Those are my top picks for the division. I haven't seen Jamil much in Nogi, to be honest. I'm really biased towards his gi game. I thought his performance at the Worlds, the year he won, was absolutely outstanding. Um, I've been watching him since you know for a while now, and he's become one of my favorite grapplers. Uh, a lot of big names in there. It's hard to say, but I I don't know how Jamil feels Nogi. I haven't seen him compete Nogi, but those would be my two top picks right there. Yeah, like I, said, I haven't seen Jamil Nogi either, so I I wouldn't know. Uh, I'm trying to lean here. I like the the Tenth Planet guys. I don't know how they're gonna do in this one. If I was gonna Lean on somebody. I think the second pick I'd have might be Bruno Frazado. Frazado. Um, I was going to Matteo's Gabriel. He won the Worlds this year. He was like dark horse. I remember watching him like winning fights. I mean, that kid's not supposed to win that fight. I've never seen him before, right? And then he wins his next one. I'm not supposed to win that one either. Yeah. He wins the next one. Like, oh, I did not expect. And he, all the way till he won the tournament. I mean, world, for his first world title. And... I remember him having outstanding balance. Like that was the one thing that like like really shocked me. Like no one could sweep this kid. Like he would be in positions where you'd be like, he's swept, he's done, and he'd bounce back up to his feet. It's kind of like a cat, man. Like he couldn't sweep this kid. Yeah. And so he really surprised me. Again, same thing as Jamil Hill. I don't know how he's going to perform Nogi. That's a very different. Um, it's different if you're the game is very reliant on lapels and sleeves. For example, my game never has been. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, guys like me and Damien. I think Damien translated so well for MMA for the same reason. If you watch him as a blue, purple, brown competing, it was always like a half guard, butterfly kind of game that didn't, like, it wasn't contingent on him having, I need the sleeves and the collars, otherwise I'm doomed, right? So I don't know how his game would translate in that regard. But he's a big, man, he's, he's, he's hungry, man. He's that, he's that kid that could come in and surprise everyone because he did that at the Worlds this year, so. Mateus Gabriel is another name to watch out for. Johnny Grippo, obviously, um, always you know, always a top player. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of big names here, but I think those are the names we mentioned here. I think it's fair to say that the ones we can be expected to see on the podium. Yeah, I think so too. But like you said, a lot of tough guys. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, and of course, you got uh, Nicky Ryan in there. Which, Nicky Ryan, that's right. <laughs> especially since we have a lot of leg locks are a go. Yeah. 
You never know what could happen. But you know the thing I think the, the, the thing the one issue that a lot of people that only do super fights will have in ADCC is that the super fight format doesn't prepare you. The tournament format is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. First of all, it's much harder. I think super fights yes. get they get you paid, which is something we could talk about. The perf, the, the how jujitsu has become more professional over the years, and that's really nice. You got a lot of exposure, and that's really nice. Good for them too. But at the same time, they're a lot easier. Oh, frank. way more. Like, like super fights are like a I, I like would, one fight. It's like, I would do super fights all the time. Yeah. But, but when me and you were competing, though, yeah. they weren't really no. well paid. You know, only ADCC no. had the really yes, big it was the only fight. one that paid. Every other one's like a thousand bucks. If if yeah, if the yeah, are getting paid, like I would do a sixty man absolute division to win the for the chance to win a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? And I was like. Oh man, that's a big money. <laughs> no, I remember winning the gi. I went in open weight class and get a gi. I'm like, yes, I made it. I made it. I, I remember I got my first gi, a sponsorship gi. It was like best. I'm like in my in my head, I'm yeah. like, I made it in jujitsu. I got a free gi. <laughs> Clearly, you know, the pinnacle of the sport. Uh, but like the thing about the tournament format is that it prepares you to go not only multiple times, but you have to fight multiple elite opponents. And a lot of the super fights, they are a system with no points. So you're going to walk in at ECC, which is a hybrid, right? You get no points the first half, and you get to get points in the second half. And things like wrestling become very important. And I, I was commentating for the IBJJF Grand Prix a few weeks ago. And I, I was saying that, like, I'm going to toot my own horn here. I've been calling this for years. And it's yeah. going to keep happening. Nogi is going to be more and more wrestling oriented, especially in the heavier divisions, less so in the lighter divisions. But if you're middle and above and you can't wrestle... It's gonna be hard for you to win in the future. It's gonna happen. Oh, it's gonna happen. You're always gonna have exceptions, but I, I like to look at patterns and the average, not the exceptions, yeah. right? And there's the, the wrestling level is going up very quickly, and it's it was the deciding factor. I'm gonna say like maybe six, seven out of ten matches at the Grand Prix, like almost every match was decided with with wrestling. And this ADCC, a lot of people are excited about leg locks and all that. That will not be the deciding factor. Mark my words, it's gonna be wrestling. Wrestling is going to be the deciding factor of who wins and who loses this at ECC. And a lot of the guys that come from a no-point system, they don't know how to wrestle. Why would you? Yeah. Strategically, it makes no sense for you to blow your load, like kill yourself, take someone down, which is not easy. Risk in the guillotine, yeah. ending up in a bad spot, someone taking your back, right? For what? Just to be on top of the guy and bottom. The other guy's going to pull guard anyway. You're going to be on top regardless. You can be on guard on top without a try hard. Yeah. So because of this, a lot of these guys will lack the experience to win at ADCC. Whereas someone that comes from an IBJF background, for all their flaws, you're used to that sort of system. You're used to having fight after fight after fight and being able to take someone down and hold them down and go to their back when they turtle up. These are dynamics that occur only when points are available. Once you remove points, why would you ever go to your knees? It makes no sense. Hence why no one ever turtles up. Unless yeah. they're inexperienced in that rule format. But if they are experienced, it makes no sense to go to your knees. Stay on your back. Yeah, you know? for sure. No, And that's the thing, like I said, like, I, I think especially for some of the 10th planet guys, since they're used to doing sub yeah. only and whatnot, the yeah. rule set in ADC is really unique. And that's, I guess, a nice way of saying it. I don't like the rule set in particular. Yeah. I think... Uh, it's got some glitches. It's got some things got, I don't write. Yeah. yeah. It's got a lot of glitches in it. So it'll be interesting to see how they adapt. But I'll tell you what, the guys who did the U.S. trials, they went through hell because they, I think for the lightweights, it was like 128-man brackets. Which is like eight matches. Yeah. So those it's guys. It's like records. Like I haven't think yeah. I've seen a bracket that big. No, I remember back in the day, like 2005 and 2007 trials, there was less than eight guys in some of these trials. Yeah. Yeah. And it was crazy. It was like, dude, like, 
Hit the world championship. I think I've seen 120 something, but yeah. like this is, I think the 80, this ADCC trials was yeah. probably the most competitive one ever. Yeah, so those guys definitely have, an, they already understand the rule set and yeah. they made it through to win a spot. And they've already been through arguably a harder bracket in the sense that they had to compete eight times. And, one, yeah. and I think theirs is in one day versus two days. Two days. ADCC. So, you know, ADCC will be considerably easier tournament wise. Although because the of try, yes, uh, the, the certain the fights because a lot of guys are you got to remember too, like not to discredit anyone's in the trials, but trials kind of like free for all too. Yeah, like anyone can compete. Like you, you know, you've been training for like six months. Getting is there a criteria? I don't think there's a criteria for trials. I, I never competed trials. I got invited when I when I competed, but yeah. um, I don't think there is. I, don't, I, I was fortunate. I was invited every time. Yeah, like I, I don't think there's a criteria. I think if you pay, you get in. So that explains that the, the I mean. If you're a blue belt, you probably don't feel qualified. But there's some confident brown belt in there yeah. that's not qualified to be. He's gonna come. So like a lot of the guys you're gonna be competing against aren't necessarily elite. Whereas if you're in the ADCC 16 man bracket, every guy you face, every guy you good. fight yeah. can potentially beat you. Yeah, you know? so it's, it's a different ball game. There's no easy matches. No easy matches. No the easy. easier matches. Easier, <laughs> <laughs> easier yeah, but not like easy. That's for sure. <laughs> Instead of paying for ketchup, maybe you're facing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what about the uh, the 77 kilo, David? Let's move on to 77. This one is always a fun division to watch because it's like they sit on that border between the guys that are going to be wrestling a little bit. They tend to be very dynamic. Yeah. This is where you get a lot of like, you know, like tricky stuff. They're some of the most technical guys in, in jiu-jitsu. Yes. Um, and uh, I know a lot of these people, so it makes it a bit more interesting to me. So I'll run through the names real quick and then make it just talk about We have JT Torres. Current champ. Ross Nichols, Jonathan Satava, John Combs, Servio Tulio, Mateus Genrat, Lachlan Giles, Lucas Supri, Wagner Rocha, Renato Canuto, Oliver Taza, Edwin Namji, Celcio Vinicius, DJ Jackson, Nicky Ryan, and Dante Leon. That's an exciting bracket, man. That's an exciting um, I think. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention Nicky Ryan. I told you he was one of the guys that moved, so he actually got pushed Re- in, replaced into, by Gary Tonin. Is that exactly, right? Yeah, because yeah. Nicky Ryan went down to sixty-six to replace Ethan, and then correct, he, and then Gary Tonin took his spot. So let's start from the top here, Dave. JT Torres, current champ. I mean, he's like definitely. Like, I'm going to come up with like my top four guys, and you can do the same. How about that? Yeah, I, JT is definitely one of my top four. For sure, he is. He's got a ridiculous back take game. Yeah, and his takedown game has definitely improved a lot. He's only, gonna, yeah, I'm sorry. So he's going to be a hard guy to unseat yeah. as a champion. The only thing that worries me about like guys like JT is, you know, he was training with Andre and those guys in San Diego, and then he moves up in his own gym. And I've been, I've walked that road. I'm telling you, like, oh, I'm going to train with my students. I got some good students here. It's not the same, you know. And and I don't know. He's been tra- teaching and training, you know, far away from the Atos home base in San Diego, where the best training partners are, for some time. And I think that does hurt you a little because how often? The question I always ask myself, like, how often I got tapped when I was training Braza and it's Golden Age in Sao Paulo? How often would I get tapped in six months, let's say, yeah. or ever a month or whatever? How often was I getting tapped when I moved to Las Vegas and opened my gym? Yeah, and then you're you're still you're still in shape and everything, but like you're not being pushed, you know, the same way. So that thing, any guy who opens his gym has pays that cost. You make more money. You you know now you got you got big bills to pay. I get that, but at the same time, your training does suffer a little bit. It's definitely harder because I, ever since I've been training, I've had a school. 
Yeah. So I've never had the, I've never had the luxury of not having a school to Same run. Same here. So you have to be very well disciplined. Yeah. Because when you're your own coach, so to speak, or like yeah. essentially my brother would coach me, I'd coach my brother. So we're essentially our own coaches in a way. It's good to have a brother though. That's a good dynamic, by the way. It, it's, it's, it's a strong bond. Like I, yeah. I wish I, I think if I had that, I think that would have been a good bond, you know. But it's been, definitely it's definitely good for you guys. You would have accomplished more than you have. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would have been because it's of the absolute challenge. <laughs> the, the, the brother pushes you, man, because oh, it's competitive sure. but with yeah. love. I've seen twin brothers, man, yeah. or like brothers, when they have that, there's so much love and respect, and I'll, you know that deep down he's always going to have your back. There's a bond that you can't, you can't create. You can't create that unless you're brothers, right? Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you're trying to kill each other. Yeah. Oh, all the time. <laughs> it's a healthy competition, yeah, you know. Me and my brother, and, and even though I was bigger than him for the most part of my life, like I usually had like a 20 pound advantage in him. But yeah. He was the one guy that was able to tap me out regularly. Just had a ridiculous armbar game. Yeah, I had a really good armbar game. I mean, it pissed me off because yeah. he was just about the only guy that could tap me out like yeah. any time. You know? He knew you inside out. That's why. Yeah, but uh, no. So for sure, having that brother dynamic is helpful. There's a lot yeah. of wrestlers that have yeah. wrestling brothers and whatnot that work out well in jujitsu too. You know, so it's definitely cool to have. But yeah, if you're coaching yourself, you have to be a lot more disciplined, and you have to, and especially in a situation where you're starting up a new gym, like like JT is, he might not have those higher level students yet. Like you really put him through his paces, so you have to be more creative with your training, and you have to put yourself already at a big disadvantage. So like shark bait rounds, yeah. or like really bad positions right off the get go, and uh, that's sort of going to give you that resistance that you'll need. But it's not the same as having someone who's always high level versus when you're doing those type of training, you're essentially bringing down your level. Like weakening your stamina. Yeah, and really that you're still winning, so you're thinking you're fine. Yeah. The thing is, the guys you're going against, because I used to train a lot of MMA guys, and not to insult MMA guys, but most of them aren't good in jiu-jitsu at all. They think they are. Yeah. You know, oh, like, I'll scramble out of a triangle. Well, congratulations. That does not make you good at anything. Yeah. You know, but you're not being challenged in the same ways, right? Um, yes, having a coach, 100%, because a coach, a good coach, is going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Correct. And having that guy really helps. A school and classes. In one way or another, man, there are a form of taking your energy and they can be very oh, yeah. stressful too. I remember like I was fighting MMA professionally and I'd be fighting on a Friday and I'd be like teaching class Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes cornering my students the weekend. I'd driving to California to coach them and like driving back and then like cutting weight and all these things, man. It's like, it's not ideal. I'm not saying that that is the determining factor, no, but, but it, it, it doesn't help. It, it works against you. It works against you 100% it, sure. it does. The only Thing I see teaching helps you is technically you get better. Yeah. Right? Technically, because you like you said, you you learn the a thousand ways to do something wrong quicker because yeah. yeah. your students are doing them. Yes. Yeah? And you're like, no, 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 wait, yeah. you gotta do it like no, this. No, yeah, you have to and, think too. And you have to be able to like exactly think and problem solve because one way of teaching something is not gonna work for everybody. So then you have to, okay, let me explain it in this way. And then you also sometimes learn the mechanics better. Yeah. Because you might be doing something that works great for you, but then when you have to teach it, you have to explain why it works. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay, by using this lever and you can operate. And, and, and you, you confront yourself. Sometimes you're, you have a, a belief of, in, in something or that something works in a certain way. And then your student does something or challenges what you taught. Not in a disrespectful way, but he was like, what about this? Right? And then you, you're forced to rethink your own presumptions. Yeah. So you go, like, oh, there's a different way of doing this. And that's happened to me more times than I can count where my students are teaching me without sure. realizing it. Because no matter how much experience you have, we all have blind spots. I've been doing this exclusively my whole life. I got tons of blind spots. And sometimes like a blue belt will expose me 
and going, what about this? I'm like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. And that happens. And that's Oh, no, that, that happens. And you're grateful for this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you're still learning as a coach. So the coaching is all these things. And um, I think JT does have this ex extra weight on his back because of that. But he's still one of my top four. Yeah, you know? for sure, for sure. I, I think he's smart enough to handle that. And, yeah, and well, he's, he's an experienced guy he, too. He's, he does have some. Uh, I know he has a young black belt there. He just got promoted. It's really good too. His kid, uh, is Waste Sakahiza, or I butchered your name. My bad. But he goes by the yeah. IG handle Kimura Trap Star. So okay, I got a lot of okay. That's how you remember <laughs> that. that. Yeah, he does seminary school. <laughs> so, uh, shout out to Sakafuji Jiu-Jitsu. All right. Uh, next one, Ross Nichols from the United Kingdom. I don't know him. I can't. Like A lot of good guys in Europe that I don't know, but he's from Roger Gracie's Academy, first European trial winner. Yeah. So, yeah, I, don't, I don't know him. I don't know much about Jonathan. Sakai. Jonathan, I've been watching him compete since he was a purple belt. He's a Marcelo Garcia guy. Um, American trial winner. We were just talking about how highly competitive the American yes. trials were. Um, he, um, he's, he's, he's a solid guy. Yeah. He's a definitely a solid guy, a name to watch out for. Um, he's a part of like the young American, the new American generation. Like he's gotten a black before like a few years now, but always competing at a high level. He hasn't won a world title or anything in, at the black belt level, but he's one of those guys that's always like right there. Like he's a fighter two away. He'll lose to the current champion by, you know, little. So it's like these guys that even though they may not be favorites like Lucas Lepre and whatever, um, like we were just talking, these guy, you can't, this guy might be his day. Like his yeah. guy, you know, you get Johnson Sataba walks in there and it's his day. And he's, I walked in the ADCC Open. I wasn't the favorite. Yeah. Very few people would have put the money on me, but it was my day. Yeah. And I think if I fought that tournament a hundred times, I probably would have won it 99 out of a hundred. I was just like, that day was every, the stars aligned. You know, sometimes these things happen and you never know. Um, number four, John Combs. Now, John Combs, I want to talk to him a little bit. He visited my gym as a blue belt eight years ago, seven years ago, he was whooping my brown belts butt. Like, he was just all over. Like, I did not have a guy that day in the gym to beat him. Oh, wow. Yeah, he showed up at night as a blue belt, very respectful. That's why I liked him right away because you can see he was very talented, very athletic, you know, good, solid jiu-jitsu, trains out of Mall Easton in Colorado. Very humble kid, and he was kicking butt. Like, the kid was all over the place. He fought the trials Max almost beat him. I, I, saw, I have I to say it. that. I saw that. <laughs> no, Max, Max was had him. had him in two submissions. This shows how tough he is. Yes, and the yeah. thing is, not to take credit from John in any way, Max barely knew ADCC rules when he went in there. He's kind of he was a blue belt. Like I'm gonna go, and he won a three or four fights. Lost to John Combs, who ended up winning the whole tournament, the whole trial, and by very very close. I think Max got caught at the end because he gassed out. Yeah. There was no preparation leading up. Whereas, like someone like John Combs and some of these other guys, they are preparing for ADCC their whole lives. Yeah, like that's like the pinnacle of their career, right? This is a, probably the biggest tournament John's ever competed in. He's about to compete, so there's a preparation. Max did not, but he had a war with him. Man, it was a very good fight. But John is, in my opinion, one of like top five American grapplers in the world today. Like I, I, I really have like a soft spot, spot in my heart for him because I've seen him come up. And a uh, very humble kid, uh, very talented. He had a war with Cyborg and Nogi Worlds. I think they fought to a draw with Cyborg. Winner of the IBGF Grand Prix, the Open. From memory, I think it was a draw and Cyborg won decision. But he was going at it with Cyborg, man. So it gives you an idea of where this kid's level's at. Yeah. And just like Jonathan Tatava, man, he's like one big name to contend with. Like this kid could be 
you know, could be like the, it could be his day, yeah. you know. Like I tell people, everybody's human. You know, there's nobody I've ever faced that was like superhuman or like, oh, there's no way in the world I could ever compete with this guy. I mean, like everybody, it gets nervous. Everybody can have a bad day or they can have a good day. So if you're in the tournament, you got a chance. Well, you every can. Superman's got his kryptonite too. Yeah. You got a weakness. Yeah. And I, it's funny because like even like superheroes, like when I say superhero, like I kind of mean like the guy's best scrapper of all time, I think is Roger Gracie. He had his Achilles heel too. He had guys he had a really hard time beating. You know, like everyone, no matter who you are, there's someone out there yeah, that has your numbers, a style that your style does not match up with. Like, and I, and I love this about, just because it really, it goes back to tournament thing we're talking about, the game, the style. Yeah. You're unlucky, you're unlucky, the word is unlucky because you're not responsible for picking the bracket. And then you get a bracket that has every person who matches your style or doesn't. And that's gonna play a big role if you're gonna make it to the final or not. Sure. So we have next Servio Tulio. I don't. Servio is uh, Felipe Pena Preguisas. We had him here for episode okay. one. It's his main training partner in Brazil. So he won the Brazilian trials. Really solid kid. Been watching him for a while. Uh, same category. He's like that. Like, he's not that tier number one of the elite of the division, but he's up there. Yeah. You know, he's he's a kind of guy that could potentially beat anyone in division. He's very young. Recently promoted black belt. Trains with Felipe Pena, who's like top three in the world, yeah. easy. Um, I would put him right in that category, just like you know, below the top four, but he could potentially beat anyone. Same thing. Mateus Gamra, that's an interesting one. I know he's an MMA fighter. I was just training with him yeah. in Poland. Actually, he was in my camp at the um, at my uh, in uh, in uh, Gniezno. I was teaching a camp there. He's always been coming to my camps in Poland for some years now. And he's an MMA guy. He's just like one of those guys, very talented. He's like to me, Matos is one of those guys. If he decided to be a soccer player, like it's about yeah. anything, he would have been. It's just like that kind of guy. He's just a very athletic, gifted um, individual. And he won the trials. Oh, they took second. Yeah. I can't no, remember. He won the trials. He won the, tr the second trials, right? Is yeah. that what this is? Yes. Second I, European trial. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very good wrestling. Very athletic. He's not as ex he's one of the least experienced, I think, in terms of grappling because he's has he has, he's a KSW champion yeah. or was the champion. I think he's still the champion now, and so it's a different kind of experience, you know. But um, I mean, if he won the trials in Europe, he's uh, definitely up to the task. If I face anyone in the bracket, so For that's sure. another prospect. Then next you have Lachlan Giles, which has done he's uh, definitely come up a lot and. I remember him because in 2017, I was coaching Kit Dale, and Craig Jones and the Giles were all in the same room training together. And there was, I think it was his first ADCC, I could be wrong, but they were all nervous because they all had tough matchups. Like Kit had Hamula Bahal from one, uh, what do you call it? Craig Jones had, uh, what's his name? Low. Low, yeah, Leandro Low, and then he had JT Torres, and he actually lost to JT Torres by I think advantage or takedown in overtime. Yeah, in the first round, and then JT ended up winning the whole thing. Yeah, so it's like one of those things. But man, it was just a tough matchup. Could have been a final. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was ranked 16 seed, I guess, to be matched with JT, or I'm not sure where JT. You know, was I, 100. Percent. I think Lachlan. I, I I know him from Australia. Like I've, yeah. I've I've never trained with him, interacted with him much, but like I know him through you know, com friends we have in common. But he started as a coach. Like, he was known as a coach, you yeah. know, and then he started competing and doing better. 
I remember one time I was coaching uh, Rafael over at EBI, and um, he beat Ronnie Yaria, who's former ADCC yeah. champion. Yeah. Although to be fair, Ronnie was not did not prepare. You could see he was like he was gassed like two minutes in. It was not himself. Still an ADCC champion. Yeah, and. Um, so that's another big name. I wouldn't put him in like top four, but right there with that second tier of like the elite guys in that division. Um, yeah, like I think, um, yeah, especially he has, he seems to have like a very leg lock oriented game. And I'm curious to see how much, because last ADCC, I don't think it played that big of a role. I think it played a role, but not that as big as people were expecting. And I think, it, I suspect this ADCC is going to be the same. I think that the whole leg lock thing is kind of like when Baron Bolos were really popular like six, seven years ago when they first started. People were killing it with it because no one knew what to stop them. And then everyone goes, wait a second, this is not rocket science. There is a way. And then you start learning and like, okay, this is what I can and can't do. And the game, it, it, it changes the whole game. The bar is raised. We have more tools than we had before. Fair enough. Are people at the ADCC level going to be surprised by those tools? My guess is they won't. Like, I think that it's not going to be a determining factor, although people who, you know, it's certainly an extra tool, but I, I, still, I still think we're going to see more rear naked chokes than heel hooks. Uh, yeah, it's I think always that, the case. It's always the case yeah. just because... Even the rear naked choke will not, like, make highlights the way heel hooks. It's going to be, like, the piece of the story that happened is going to be, um, you know, talked about, even though the rear naked chokes that are going to happen probably not going to be as... Oh, just another another rear naked choke. Right? It's one of the the glitches, so to speak, of the the rule set. Whereas if you turtle, it doesn't matter what happened before that turtle. It doesn't count as a point. Yeah. I could do a perfect double leg slam, put you on your back, and you turtle. It doesn't count for points. So everybody escapes that way to try to avoid it, and that's why guys like Marcelo Garcia did so well because he just has such a good back game that you just gave him ADCC everything he wanted. is very back game, and I yeah. I like that about. I, I, first of all, I think it should be points. Mm -hmm. I think it's absurd that you're getting on top of someone in turtle position. They're not awarding points. That's one of the glitches we were talking about. The other one is like the the, the, the hooks, like four points, eight uh, points, twelve yeah. stack points. Like, that's crazy to me. But uh, but like I, I think that the back take is still going to be the most dominant submission. The Rinnick chokes are still yeah. the most dominant submission. It is in the gi and it is in no gi and it is in MMA. To me, that speaks volumes about like the right. hierarchy yeah. of your training. It's the most important submission to have because when yeah. people start getting tired, they're going to start turning to their back. Yeah. It happens in MMA also. Yeah, you know? because you don't you, you want to protect your face. Yeah. You turn your back. You, it's it's what happens in every street fight. It yeah. happens in MMA. It happens in jiu-jitsu unless you remove points, and then tactically that makes no sense. Yeah. You know. Um, so that was we were just Lachlan Giles. Lachlan. Okay, we talked about the leg locks, and then okay, here's another one of my top favorites. Lucas Lepri. Yeah. Lucas Lepri. Like, I'm a big Lucas Lepri fan. One of the best top games in the business. The guy's a monster on top. I've never trained with him, but everyone who has is like, man, the guy's like a, like a bulldozer when he's on top. And you can see that. Like, he's a very, very dominant top player. So, yeah, man. He's, he's a, I mean, he's, he's been close. Has he ever won it? I don't think he has. No, he hasn't. And he's been close a few times. So, maybe this is his year. Then you have Wagner Rocha, who... Taking the bronze last year, he had a pretty good showing. He's another guy who has a very good back attack game. Yeah, well rounded. I, I trained with the when I when I when I was in Florida training with Pablo, preparing for ADCC in the yeah. 2007. He was one of our training partners. He wasn't competing, but he was. We were training. I was training with him every day, and uh, it was a really good camp. I had a lot of fun that camp, and I got to know him pretty well. And good guy, solid jujitsu. 
I'm putting him in the top four people in that division. No, he's definitely shown he can do it. He has, uh, again, like I said, one of the most important skills, which is good back taking skills. Yeah. And he has that in spades. You know, and he's done really well recently. And it's funny because he was competing in tournaments my brother and I were doing back like in 2000, 2001. He's still active. Yeah. Yeah. So we were doing grappling tournaments, but he was like a teenager back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's kind of cool to see that he's come all this way. So yeah, yeah he, he took third last year, uh, last year ACC, you said, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, anything could happen. He's a very experienced guy. He's got a lot of solid training partners, so you know he's well prepared. That's a big thing. It gets hard to prepare unless you have some elite guys to push you. You know, we were talking about that. And Wagner has that. He trains with, like, Cyborg in, in yeah, Miami. He's got a very deep camp there. Yeah, so he's a lot a, he's, of, lot of solid guys. Not, he's not lacking good spots. No, absolutely there. not. Um, next. Renato Canuto. So, exciting guy to watch. Yeah. Um, I think he's like part of that second tier too. He's really young. He's very experienced when it comes to IBJJF rules, like you know, because his father's a referee. He knows how to. He's one of the best at manipulating the rules in his favor I've ever seen. ADCC, that stuff doesn't fly because a lot of those things that are ID, uh, there are glitches in IBJJF don't exist in ADCC. So I think that hurts him a little bit. Um, I think that the flying armors are less surprising against elite grapplers. They're going to be expecting that. So it's going to come down to the wrestling, I think. Uh, he's done really good lately. Like he's in recent competitions, he's, I don't know, has he lost a match like in the last few years? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's lost. He lost Pan Ams. Um, he lost the Worlds. Um, and in Kasai? Because yeah. I know he's. Kasai, been... I don't. I think he lost to a kid, um, Eddie Cummings. Okay. Eddie Cummings. But why is it Eddie Cummings not in here? Like, I thought he'd be in here. That's a good question. He looked like he kind of just dropped off the face of the earth. You know what I mean? Like, he He's trained with the guys from Unity. I know that's, yeah. that's one of the best camps in the world. But I, I think that those guys from Unity are... They, I put them in top five camps in the world, hands down. Murilo Santana, the Miaos, and they, they kind of I think they, they borrowed that, uh, the Cicero Costa formula from Brazil. And the, just basically live on the mats. Yeah, you know, you know, you, guys, you know, find like a bunch of like 19 year olds who don't have a life, have them sleep on the mats, kill yourself on the mats two or three times a day. That's that works, man. Like, that's yeah, but like no. they have a very solid camp. So I, would, I would expect to see Eddie Cummins in the uh, in one of the divisions. Um, too bad he didn't make it, but yeah, I think uh, Hinato stands a pretty good chance. He has a very dynamic style, where, very dynamic. I think he's yeah, fun to watch, he's super fun to watch because he does, yeah, like. I remember when he was uh, training with, with us, very good on the mat, but he rises to another level in competition. Yes. He's definitely one of those guys that moves up. Yeah. And he seems like he gets a lot crazier <laughs> in competition where he yeah. does lots of wild stuff. So I could see potentially making a mistake by just being too yeah. flashy, like doing flying armbar, getting a minus point, you know, or, yeah. or whatnot. So I'm not sure how familiar he is with the rules or, you know, if he's been trained specifically to yeah. understand those. But, uh, I mean, he definitely has the skills to... No, I think he's definitely yeah. a name to watch out for. I think that walking in there, though, people will be less and less surprised by a lot of the things. Because here's the thing about the, 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 the flashy stuff is that they're fun to watch. Yeah. But I think efficiency is always, you know, priority. For when it comes to winning, efficiency is always going to be the most important thing. And these things are less and less surprising the more you do them. Well, you the, know? Yeah, and I think the other thing that might work against him is that he has what I call like a fast and loose style. Yeah. Right, where it's not very control oriented. He's very finish oriented. Yeah. Which makes him exciting to watch. But for especially for like a rule set ADCC, you need control. If you're gonna score points. I was thinking that. Yeah. You need to you you want more of a, a slow tight game. 
Yeah. You know, to be able to, especially since churling is such a factor. Yeah. You know, so uh, I a think guy that with a very flashy. Style, it hurts him. It hurts him. It hurts him. I think, that especially in division with guys like Lucas Lepri, when he gets on top of you, man, there's not a lot of flashiness to go around. Like you're you're stuck in front of him. You know, gi or no gi, Lucas gets on top of you. You're gonna have a hard time moving. You know, and he's shown that time after time after time. Um, yeah, so that's another prospect. Uh, who is, who are the other ones? Oliver Taza. Oliver Taza out of uh, Canada, TriStar. Um, he trains with the uh, Hanzo Gracie guys also. Yeah, I've actually exchanged messages with him a few times in, um, on WhatsApp. Like, we have a few friends in common. But I've actually never met him, trained with him. But I'm assuming if he comes from that camp, he would have, like, a probably league-oriented game. That would be my guess. But I've actually never seen him compete. Uh, likewise, I can't. I can't say I've seen him compete either. But I just know that he's part of that camp where he trains with them. But uh, next we have Edwin Namji, who is another very fan favorite. Yeah, but he's the thing. Edwin is one of those guys. He's fan favorite, and you would say, "Oh, he shouldn't be invited because if everybody no, but he's that good though. <laughs> he's like he definitely needs to be in there. Like he's he's he he, he he's past that threshold. Like I'm just a fan favorite. No, he's proven that he's an elite elite competitor. Oh, for sure. Very exciting to watch as well. Very dynamic, articulate. Um, yeah, see, if I could make a matchup, I would like to see Hinato versus him. I think a lot of people want to see that matchup. Yeah, that would be uh, very interesting. I think that a guy like Edwin, though, has the advantage of having a lot of uh, solid training partners. You know, like, um, you know, he doesn't have the problem of not having, like, guys that can challenge him. He's get, he gets challenged every day oh. by guys like Homo Bahao. Uh, Victor Suverio, I think Felipe Pena is probably, I don't know if he's doing his camp there with Homblu, but he's, he might. Um, who else? We have Gabriel Argis, who, by the way, is not in here. Just notice that. Uh, who else? A lot of good guys that, you know, he, he's got, he's definitely challenged every day. From what I hear, he's just one of those guys that's, like, incredibly talented. He doesn't put in the time that the other, some of the other guys put in, but he's just, a, he's just one of those guys that's just that gifted, you know? Mm -hmm. He... he Again, one of those guys could practice any sport and he would have been incredible at yeah, it. You know? yeah. Very, very uh, athletic, very articulate. I'm going to go with him, my, my fourth uh, favorite in the, uh, in the division. That's going to be my fourth pick there. But, um, yeah, Celso Vinicius from Gracie Baja, very, very solid competitor. I've been, I think when I won the Worlds in the Gi, he won that same year lightweight division. We won the... I'm pretty sure he was uh, he won the, the middle or the lightweight division. I can't remember now. Very solid half guard. He's an older guy, man, but very experienced. Like, he's a Gordo student. Very okay. solid half yeah. guard. Like, he, I mean, he took Gordo's game to the next level. I remember, like, I always claimed that Lucas Leite had the best half guard in the world. And then he fought Celso Vinicius a few times. And I was like, oh, this is the class of who's going to have the best half guard in the world, you know? But uh, I think... Vinicius would normally beat Lucas. He just managed to get bottom somehow, and then Lucas couldn't pass, and that'd be that. Because whoever ends up on bottom normally wins if you have that sort yeah. of style. But Celso is a very solid competitor. He made a comeback. He didn't compete for a few years. So he just made a comeback a few years ago. So I'm competing against so one of my former students, Enrico Coco, and actually got him in a really yeah. wicked guillotine, put him to sleep. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm like, so that's not an easy feat to do. So. No, he's um, yeah. he's a very experienced guy, um, world champion, believes in ADCC vet as well. Who else we got? We got DJ Jackson. Yeah. And if you want to talk about crushing pressure. <laughs> DJ Jackson, solid wrestling. Um, so guys like DJ Jackson have solid, uh, such a great standing in place like ADCC because of the wrestling, right? Yeah. Like they have that, that experience. And we've seen, you know, he fought Rafael Domingos when we fought the, um, we commentated for the Black Belt TV thing. 
and um, I, I was, I was, you know, I was, you know, advising uh, Rafael on how to fight Jackson. I was really worried that Rafael has a very loose, articulate stand-up game. Like he did some judo when he was younger, but DJ with that short little stance of his and like that, it's such a powerful wrestler. It's hard to get. It, it was a difficult matchup for a guy like Hafi. Yeah, it was more yeah. of a loose kind of like relax. Hafi's work works really well against jiu-jitsu players. Not great against high-level wrestlers because a high-level wrestler is not loose and relaxed. He's like tight, ready yeah, to shoot. Like exactly, it's an impact kind of exactly. Yeah. So that's how he beat him. So I could see that happen against um, other opponents. Yeah, and then you have well, it's now Gary Tonin. Gary Tonin. Uh, and of course, I mean, he's kind of, again, another one with the leg locks, a little bit looser, a little bit... Less, less yeah. more predictable now than he would have been two, three years ago, yeah, I believe. Sure. I think he's more doing more MMA now, so that hurts him a little bit because he's a little... He's, there's no other way. He's putting a lot of energy into his hands and keeping his hands up and not yeah. getting taken down. There are, or like not like fighting on the fence, I mean. So there are elements into his training that didn't exist. That th These guys are focused on his, you don't have to worry about. So that's a disadvantage. But again, very dangerous opponent. Could surprise a lot of people. You never know. For sure. Then Dante Leon. Also, like young generation coming up. Very excited to see him, man. Like he could be, he could, he could surprise a lot of people. Uh, man, we got a lot of list of people to go here still. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a long list. It's going to be a long podcast. But we're going to go name by name here. Uh, Adam Vajinsky, I know him well. This guy, I've known him since he was maybe Blue Bell. He's been coming to my camps in Poland. Very solid butterfly game. Uh, he recently had a victory over Leandro Lowe in the gi, but still it's a big win. Although Leandro Lowe, it's, he's never been that great of a no-gi player. I think everyone knows that, right? But uh, beating him in the gi is very, very significant. For sure, it is. Um, it's a tough... And I've trained with Adam. Like, he, he's legit, man. He's very good. He's got... Uh, he's like one of those guys that kind of has his own thing. Like, he's got a butterfly game. I thought I had a good butterfly game, and then, like, Adam's like a whole new level. He's very difficult... To fight him, he's very good at sucking you into his butterfly. You think I'm just going to stay out of his butterfly, right? Like you can't. Like he, he forces you to fight you there. Let's see how he's going to translate nogi. I think that's going to be. You know, he won the trials in Europe, but again, trials like we talked we talked about. It's hard, but it's not ADCC. It's yeah. a whole different ball game. Different. And by the way, we're in the 88 kilo division. Now. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. 88 kilo division, which is had some some big names there still, but I think I feel like we lost um, uh, some. Some names. I just saw Gabriel Arges. I thought we, I thought he wasn't in there. He is in the 88 yeah. kilo division. I can't think of him 88 kilo division for some reason, but we'll talk about him down the road. Uh, Alec Balding. You know who that is? Um, um, no, I know I've the seen, name. I've seen the I've name. I've seen videos of him like doing no. instructionals, but I haven't seen him compete. But he won one of the U.S. trials, so yeah, that's tough. And then you got Josh. Josh Hinger, also North American trials. Josh, one of like. Another fan favorite. Like, I think John is Josh is like one of those. He's like a nice guy. Everyone likes him. He's like a very easy to talk to guy. He doesn't have a big ego. Um, vicious guillotine. You yeah. know, like he's done really well. And I remember watching him ACB. He was doing really well. Um, Atos, so solid camp. This yeah. guy's gonna like he is like he's he is being challenged by some of the the best grapplers in the world. I think Josh is like one of the top top picks in this division as I, well. I would think like so. I, I, I think he's up there. He could surprise just about anyone. Then you have Gabriel Almeida. Gabriel Almeida. Um, I'm trying to put a face to him. I know the name. Man, a lot of new guys. Gabriel yeah, there is a lot. Of, this, I, I think this division is probably the I think the most 
opened I've seen so far. Yeah, the, the it's line. not a lot of a lot of names I don't recognize. Like yeah. new guys, right? Like a lot not, of new guys. Yeah, it doesn't say a thing about their skill. Like they could be the best guy in the division. Yeah, just because they're unknown doesn't say much. And there isn't the defending champion here either. The current champion is I, Gordon I, Ryan, I right? Think it was Gordon yeah, Ryan. Yeah, he, he moved up, so there's no current champion. Who else do we got? Or the or second place either. Yeah. So, so it, it, that's why I feel this is a very open division. Very open. Coming in and takes a, someone like Josh Hinger, who's obviously really well skilled, and um, already battle tested. Yeah. Definitely come in there and take it. Ben Dyson. Same thing. Same Keller, Locke, Sodi. Same thing, guys. If you don't just because we don't know these guys, it doesn't like it doesn't yeah, say yeah. much. It give me absolutely incredible surprise. Everyone we've seen that before. But like I, there's only so many jujitsu tournaments you can follow, right, <laughs> and I watch you. a lot. But like, I, there's no way I can keep so up we're with. So you guys. No, we're not. We're just, just I'm we sorry. No, yeah. Hopefully we do. Yeah. We have a life outside of jujitsu is what we're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> we don't watch YouTube videos all day, but it's and if you want trials, you're in there, man. Like you're got to be an elite guy. Craig Jones, more familiar name. I've known Craig for since he was a purple belt. He's been visiting the gym. He comes in and trains with us. He's always had like he's like one of like, like those really solid guys. And the gi that was right there, he'd win and he'd lose like some tough matches and tournaments. And then he just made this transition to Nogi and he just excelled. Yeah. Like I think it was like his calling was really like the, the game he developed for himself. So he's a guy that a lot of people are excited about watching. I think he's one of the biggest prospects in the division for sure. Um, specialized in leg lock, right, yeah. Dave? So yeah. the question is can he, is the leg lock going to be the deciding factor for like this division? Could be. Could be still. I'm sure people are preparing for it. Yeah, so. for sure. Then you got Rustam Chisyov. I know Chisyov. Chisyov. I'm, I'm yeah. sure we're both butchering it. <laughs> Sorry, I know he's been in the game for a long time. I never, yeah. you know, can't pronounce his last name, but yeah. everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, solid. I remember, like, I think Bushisha when he fought. I remember saying like that. Like I tried everything to sweep this guy. Absolutely nothing worked. And I could be wrong. Maybe he was talking about a different Russian guy, but I remember. I think it's this no, Russian guy. He's a bear. And, like, yeah. and, then, and then he went like, I went bump sweep from close guard. It's like the one, <laughs> that's the one that worked. And like, but I could be talking talking about someone else. I could be could be wrong here. But I think he's talking about him because he's such a he's like one of those wrestlers that he's not a finisher, right? He's not known yeah. for like putting people away. But how do you score points on a guy who can out wrestle you? He's like a bear, and he yeah. just like sits in your guard and you can't. Maybe well, he doesn't pass. There's a few people that are hairier than me. Which says a lot. <laughs> That's, I'm not one to talk, but like, like, like Dave and Rustam are like a whole new level, man. Yeah. It's like a whole new breed of Harry right there. Uh, Mike Perez, very smart competitor. I've seen him do really well. I think he beat Craig in a very like, probably wasn't the most exciting match in the world, but he beat Craig a while ago. Not the most exciting fight when he beat Craig. I think it was like a lot of like... Staying away from Craig's leg day, which kind of makes sense to him. Now, you got to go against leg yeah. lock day, like, oh, you're stalling, you're not running, in, running into my heel hook. I'm like, no shit, I'm not running into your heel hook. Like, what do you expect me to do? Yeah. But the guys, a lot of times, they have to be more aggressive. I remember Gordon at the Nogi Worlds, he was like literally butt scooting across the mats, chasing people, and very few people engaged his guard. Like, it was, it was like they were like really like just walking back the whole time, like almost everyone he competed against. So, um, yeah, that sort of strategy. I'm not. I'm not sure how ADC is going to be as far as penalizing that. But if that happens, I think that ADC should be penalizing people left, right, and center. Watching like Gordon Nogi Worlds, I would have been penalizing those guys a lot faster. My opinion for disengaging, for disengaging because like the guys butt scooting towards you. Like sometimes like they'd have to circle the mats not to get cornered. 
because like Gordon would like literally butt scoot across the mats. And, the difference you know. in passivity or stalling calls, if you compare a sport like jujitsu versus wrestling, is night and day. I remember because when I was already a few years into doing MMA and jujitsu, and my brother and I, hey, you know what? We should just jump in a grappling, I mean, a wrestling tournament, yeah, just for shits and giggles, you know. So we went in, and in my first match. We touched hands, boom, ready? And I just backed up a little bit, boom, passivity call. I was like, Jesus well, Christ, yeah, like, I just started. <laughs> but literally, just by taking a step back, you're they, already They went intensity you know? right off the gate. So I was like, Jesus. Yeah. So like, you have to be constantly pushing and attacking. You know? I like that. I, I think that teaches. I, IBJJF has been much, much better about this. Like, if people think, oh, they're stalling. You have no idea how bad it was 20 years ago when you know, I first started competing in IBJJF. It was like really bad. You get away with just about anything. They've been really good about penalizing people, disqualify people. I hope ADCC maintains that standard. Like, disqu- penalize them, disqualify them if you have to. Teach the other competitors a lesson. Problem is the matches are too long. And that's why you get stalling. And I'm convinced that the stalling has more to do with how long the matches are than actually, oh, the com- that competitor is, like, stalling. Like, man, you make it sometimes 40 minutes long. Like, what do you ex- the guy's yeah. not a superhero, man. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to wear out a little bit. You know? I think one of the things that would help, one point if you get pushed out of bounds. is I think the most frustrating thing to see is someone score a nice takedown or the guy just backs up and, and ends up out of bounds. Yeah. And then like, oh, nothing. So what's going to happen? There's no penalty. You just yeah. keep running out of bounds. Or every time someone gets a takedown, they end up out of bounds. Yeah. If you make it where the guy who pushes you out gets a point, now what's going to happen is you're not going to want to get pushed out of bounds. Yeah. So what's going to happen, either you're in a circle or you're going to move into the guy. Yeah. And when people are getting closer together, that's when takedowns happen. Yeah. Right? Like it's, in wrestling, that's why some people who go from like wrestling and into MMA, like, man, it's hard to score takedowns in a guy because they can back up whenever they want. Yeah. There's no stalling calls in, yeah. in MMA. You know, it's much easier to take someone down when you're forced to stay within six inches of each other. The yeah, whole time. absolutely. You can't disengage. Yeah, the stalling gets. I like that. I think that, uh, that's why like the cage is so important for fighting because now you don't have an out of bounds. You know, so you get stuck in the wall. Now takedowns can happen there too. But like in grappling, out of bounds is like a free pass. Oh, all the time. Yeah, all the time. And then there's a really good way of acting like you're going out of bounds. Like acting like you're not trying to when you really are. There's a lot of acting that goes on, and it's like it's difficult to fix, but because people fake, there's nothing you can do about that. They're no, but I think it should just be flat one point. If they go out of bounds, out of bounds. So I don't care yeah. what's going on. So they have to be, engaging. you have to be conscious. So that's but here's the thing, though. Like, there are people that were literally like sumo wrestling their opponents out of bounds. That's it, fine. It, it was like in the heavyweight, because it used to be like that. Anytime you stepped out of bounds, you were penalized. But then the guy, they get like these, especially in the ultra heavyweight division, they would like sumo wrestle them out of bounds. And the guy was like 80, 80 pounds lighter. Goes like, "What the hell do you want me to do?" He's grabbing my gi, pushing me out of bounds. I can't stop him. Well, you to know? me, pool guard. Yeah, you know, no, I'm with. But like, so yeah. the criteria they have now, I think it's a good solution. They go, whoever's trying to take the fight out of bounds gets penalized. So the guy who's trying, just pushing, if he's not trying to go for takedowns, he gets penalized for pushing. He has to be trying to take him down. If the guy is circling out of bounds all the time, anyone who is disengaging the fight is the one penalizing. So it's a similar criteria to wrestling, but I think the wrestling is just a lot harsher. Like the wrestling you're describing is yeah. like boom, boom, like really fast negatives. Whereas in IBJJF, at least they're not, they're not that fast, right? They allow a little bit. Like in my opinion, at least in the Nogi worlds, they were allowing it way too much, if you ask me. Yeah. I hope that ADCC penalizes them more like it is in wrestling, you know? 
I think, I mean, you can just, I can name tons of matches where there were so many out of bounds that happened. Yeah. It's like, if you would have been scoring takedowns or at least giving one point, this match would have been yeah. determined in regulation yeah. easily. You know what I mean? But like every time someone falls out of bounds or they run out of bounds, I don't know, I feel like it would just make the sport more exciting. Yeah. And you would also get more points on the board also. Because nobody likes watching a 0-0 match go into triple overtime. Yeah. That's boring. I've been no, a hundred percent. Like no, the thing, I, I think long matches don't make it better. Like everyone thinks that the longer the match, the better. Like, no. I don't. I don't think the fans like it. The fighters, I know they hate it. Yeah. I've never met a fighter that says, "Yeah, I can't wait to fight a forty-minute long match." Like, I've never heard that. Yeah. I think ten minutes is pushing it. If you ask me, I, I always argue with IBJJF that like you should make the matches like eight minutes long max. Like seven is probably my preferred number. I think anything beyond that is just. It's gonna slow it down. There's no way out of it. Sure, yeah, because you, know? you can't sprint. You know what's funny? Like a lot of times, the promoters, the people who are in charge of making these rules, they're practitioners, but not competitors. Yeah. So in their mind, oh, you should just train harder because you're not doing anything else. Just train hard, you'll be in better shape. And it's a complete denial of your physiology and how how much you can push your body. It's not a matter of will. It's a matter of you cannot go 100% for 10 minutes straight. Yeah. No one can do that. Even if an amazing, it's not a matter. Of, I'm going to train harder. Your body can't do it. Your yeah. body, like you, you need. And every sport is the same way, but there's an expectation for fighters to move around like crazy for 10 minutes nonstop. Or in ADCC case, 20 minutes, and it's just completely unrealistic. Yeah, like no, there's, they're gonna you're stall. Have to yourself. Yeah. Of course, it's too much. You know, and only people who compete and understand this—people that are just, you know, practitioners or observers, like just fans of the sport—they look, oh, you just gotta train harder. Like, trust me, they train hard enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, that's not their problem. So nice. um, we have. Kiteo, Kiteo, one of our favorite guys. <laughs> if not, if not the the favorite in the bracket, definitely the funniest. You know, no, I, I still like I can't, I do like I still like send it to my friends like that that one video he did of like the the, the self defense against like against like the rubber penis. Have you oh, seen that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit cracks me up every time. I've seen it like twenty times. It's still hilarious to me. Man. No, such a great guy. Very charismatic. Um, and extremely he's got, talented. Yes, he's got a very tricky. He's got a few trick moves yeah. uh, without disclosing them that he can hit on anybody. Yeah, I mean, and I've seen him hit it all the time. He, uh, um, he, um, very well-rounded grappler. I think, like we were talking about, people that don't have that hyper focus. I know he's got an acting career. He's like about to take off, and he's got like some. I know he's involved in like a number of different projects. I worry about that, like him being spread a little too thin, because I know exactly what that's like. It's kind of what I did to myself too. Like. Yeah. Let me get involved in 100 operations here and try to win at every single thing. You know, it's just not realistic. I worry about that a little bit. As far as talent goes, I think Kid is one of the most talented people I've ever trained with. He's no, very, he's, very gifted. He's super talented, for sure. And I, I think that, like you said, the problem is, is he well prepared for this? As, yeah. as well. I'm sure he's prepared, but compared to someone like... I mean, I'm trying to think of a name. Some of these guys have been preparing for this yeah. since they started training jiu-jitsu. This is their dream. Like, yeah. they've been dreaming of ADCC, you know. So it's the competition he's up against are people that have put more time and energy into this preparation than he has over the last few years. Correct. And that's the part that concerns me. It's not his ability to win or his gifts, you know. Like it's, about the, it's about the will to win. Exactly. And that's based on how much work you've, you've put yeah. in. You know, because you don't have to be the best fighter in the world to win fights. If you have a good game plan and you have the will to win, at a certain point, it just comes to will. Like, who's going to fold? Yeah. You know? Who's going to give up a key position just because they've taken too much damage or they're just too tired? No, and, 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 the, and, and the rules I think that, that ADCC allows you to cardio people out. 
Because it's so long. I, yeah. I, that's the other thing. I think ADCC sometimes it's like because the match is going to be so long, it's the best athlete who wins. You know, and the thing is, like, when I have this discussion with IBJJF, because I'm always arguing with them, trying to make the matches shorter, right? And they're like, "Oh, but the the more technical guy is going to win if the match is longer." I'm like, "I think it's the opposite." Yeah, yeah that's not <laughs> I think it's the opposite. opposite. Like, that's the more athletic guy is going to win. The lo- the longer the match goes, the more the better the odds of the more athletic guy yeah. winning. Yeah, the it's longer time is more is essentially you're ba- testing on endurance. Though. It's endurance, right. and a lot of that is like. It's not just your will. A lot of it is just not your preparation. A lot of it is just some people have a higher count of red blood cells, bigger heart, more vascularized muscles. They have, they're genetically more gifted than that. So when you make it longer, you're actually putting the ball, you're giving an advantage to the people who are more gifted versus, I think it's less fair. You know, if it's a shorter match, you would be, have a better display of who's, who's better. Well, you're you going to make it more intense, right? Just by nature of it. Like you said, if oh, I absolutely. say, we're going to do either a 30-minute running contest or we're going to do like a three-minute running contest. Right? The yeah. three-minute one's going to be sprints. Everybody's going to be yeah. hauling ass. It'll be exciting. 30 minutes, we're like, man, okay. You're pacing yourself. I'm going to run at a 30-minute pace. You know same. I, mean? I could have not said it better. Like, that's exactly what's happening. So if you're expecting a 40-minute sprint, yeah. you're out of your mind. That's not going to happen. Nobody can do and it. And no yeah. one can sprint for 40 minutes. They're going to jog. Yeah. And he, the best yeah. runners in the world are going to jog. Yeah. No, and if you see someone, oh, he looks like he's sprinting. He's running 30 minutes super fast or That's whatever. Right. He could run faster if you put him in three minutes. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he's can. just running faster than me and you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm a horrible runner. Yeah. But, like... You know, that's not his sprint. Like, yeah. that's just fast for the most humans. Uh, and I know, yeah. I think I talked about it last time, but, like, when I went to face Zanji Ibero, yeah, I went into it going, I'm going to beat him in double overtime. Because I saw he's bigger than me, stronger, I can outlast more technical, him. but I can cardio him out, you know? And that's... That, that's perfectly fit strategy, man. Like right, said, it yeah. is a fit strategy, but at the same time, that's a that's a boring match. I mean, it was one of the victory I was proud of because it was beating... Alexander. He was number one yeah, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu practitioner in the world. I mean, the gi, I think he had just come from winning the open weight class yeah. the year before. He, I, know, so, I think he took second in ADCC that year. Yeah. Uh, no, he won his division. Oh, he won his division. He yeah. won. He beat yeah. Brawley in the final. That was okay. my division. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he did win. Um, and he was like a current open weight IBJJF world champion, I believe. So. Yeah, so I'm proud because beating someone like that hey, takes a lot. But like... I know for the, Huge anybody watching that match, you're like, God damn, please. It's like, fast forward the hell out of this. No, but, but yeah. that's, there's no way out of it. Yeah, man. Like, so yeah. I think shorter matches are the way to go. Correct. Like, if that's, you make that that's match like an eight-minute match or like a five-minute match, it's going to be a sprint. You know, people are like, oh, it's not enough time to work. It's enough time. It's plenty of time. I think yeah. eight minutes is a good time. Yeah. All like, right. Muriel Santana, one of the best coaches in the world, in my opinion. Um you know, representing, he's not representing Barboza, but he's a head coach of Unity, which is ironic. He's representing Barboza. But, you know, also solid guy, definitely spread thin with the whole coaching thing, probably teaching a lot of classes. And, like, these guys are always at a disadvantage, in my opinion, because they got more to worry about, right? Yeah. But very solid. I had the opportunity to train with him in Brazil. I didn't know who he was. I remember, like, we were in Brazil, was like really, like, at that point, it was probably the number one team in the world. And he walked in, we were at Damian Maya's gym, and I had no idea who he was. Never seen before because he hadn't competed. Like he was not a competitor. He was he was a brown belt. Was he brown or black? I can't remember now. And I remember training with him. Like holy cow, who is this guy? This is super good. Like, and then I saw Damien going with him. I was like, oh, I didn't. I did good actually. Like he was going toe to toe with him back and forth. I'm like, wow, man, this guy's legit. And then uh, he didn't join the team because he was a Yamazaki student, mm. and he wanted to compete with a Braza patch and a Yamazaki patch. And we were like, that 
can't you, you know it's kind yeah. of everyone hates that but you can't play for the Raiders and the Patriots man like it's yeah. just the nature of every sport in Jiu Jitsu people team. people think it's okay in Jiu Jitsu oh no politics I'm like how can you represent two teams man yeah. and we liked him we wanted him on board but we kind of put our foot down you know if memory serves me well that was the reason why he didn't join and then I think Barboza was okay with it and then that's why he started training with Barboza you know but so we lost a really really good guy <laughs> but uh one of the best coaches in the business, in my opinion, man. He's, he's got, definitely got a good shot, but I wouldn't put him in the top four prospects for the division. Yeah. Um, you, next, we got Gabriel Argis. I really thought he would be in the 77-kilo division, so he's probably the lightest guy in there. But, um, yeah, you, you know Gabriel. You've seen him compete. Yeah, no, he's a <laughs> tough customer. <laughs> Another super tough guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, Gabriel Argis, like he he comes from a strong camp, very solid guys. Could surprise anyone. <clears throat> Who we have next? Mateus Genis. I oh, know. Sorry, Gabriel uh, Gilbert Burns. I think, I, 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 I think he's probably top seed. He's my favorite. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna have to say it, man. Well, he's my favorite. Yeah, not just because he's Zenith, but he's. Yeah. I think he's the most complete grappler in here, man. Like, yeah. He, I mean. Uh, I think he probably has the best shot at winning this. He's solid all around. All around. His, his wrestling his, game is also now crazy. It's gone good. done. Like he's like like high level wrestling. His only disadvantage is the same one that some of these other guys are dealing with. Like they're spread thin. Like he's fighting MMA. He's fighting in the UFC. But I think that his grappling and he's done extremely well against guys that are good at leg attacks. I remember one time he fought Gary Tony. He was all over Gary. He was yeah. destroying Gary, and then he got caught. Um, and that that's coming from a guy that didn't quite prepare for the tournament for that fight. Like he's just like fighting MMA. Oh, I'll take the fight because he's that guy. He'll fight anyone, anytime, anywhere. If he gave this tournament preparation, I think he did because I'm following him and I see him training with Cyborg all the time. I know he's had a solid camp preparing for this. I'm gonna put him as my favorite next to those. You know, next yeah. to um, what the other ones that I chose. I think Adam Josh. I think Gilbert, uh, for me right maybe. now, I'm looking. I'm looking at Craig. Josh, yeah. Craig. Uh, I think Gilbert. Gilbert. I think just because he's. I mean, I like him too because he's done more traps in the UFC. Yeah. So I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> no. 100 percent, man. Like, no, he's his, he's well rounded. Yeah. Like, his wrestling yeah. game is just really strong. I remember watching him when we were doing the black belt CBD, and he out wrestled. DJ, which is no small feat, and yeah. the same wrestling game plan too. They were both doing the same thing, just blast doubling each other. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I strongly believe that if you have that sort of blast kind of game, the shorter guys has a huge advantage, man. Because yeah. how do you get underneath a guy like DJ? He's built yeah. like a, like a barrel, man. He's like, like short and stocky, yeah. super explosive. But yeah, you're right, Gilbert out wrestled him. So that confirms what we've been talking about is how the wrestling is a deciding factor in yeah. so many of these matches, right? It has to do with a lot of how difficult it is to sweep and finish. From the bottom in nogi at the high level, yeah. Because every time you're swept, what happens? You scramble. Yeah. It's so hard, especially in ADCC, and where when you tur- exactly yeah. when you turtle up, that's not even points. Yeah. You have to practically pin your opponent down to score two points. Yeah. Bottom game is not the way to go in ADCC. I think it's very, very standing oriented, and even the lighter divisions. I think we're going to see this this uh, upcoming UFC. All right, Mattel's your knees. Everyone knows Mattel's super tough opponent. Um, one again, it could surprise anyone. He does really well in Nogi. He just beat Josh Hinger, a very close fight. Josh was talking, telling me about it. I think he went for a flying armbar, landed on his neck, knocked himself out for a split second when he woke up. Like I think Denise had, had his back or passed his guard. I didn't mm-hmm. see the fight, but Josh was telling me about it. He was like, I don't know why I never jumped a flying armbar in my life. I'm like, probably not the right time to attempt one. <laughs> There's a time and place to go for your first flying armbar. 
Probably not, you know, when like, you know, we would cut side against Matteo Zinis, but yeah. very solid competitor. Uh, John Blank. Tenth Planet. I know him. I actually taught a seminar at their school at Tenth Planet Bethlehem, okay. Pennsylvania. Yeah, he recently won the EBI, or it was the EBI, but with the open hands. Uh, combat. Combat, yeah, combat yeah, yeah, EBI, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, really good attack game all around, so it'll be interesting. Again, like I said, I don't think he's ever competed in a rule set like this before. They're at a disadvantage, like these so, guys, because they prepare for a system that doesn't have points. Right, so someone passes your guard. Why would you turtle up? It makes no sense. Stay flat on your back. So that's the disadvantage they're facing. But you never know. You can always surprise someone. Mason Fowler, Coyoteja. You know him? No, I do not. And he won the Ameri the trial. So name, name rings a bell, man. Like I'm sure that if I saw these guys, I'd recognize every single one. But I probably like spoke them a tournament like a hundred times. But like it's just way too many people, man. Yeah. All right, let's move up to the 99 kilo division, guys. We still got a lot of names to talk about. Below 99, I'm sorry. Pertu Teponen from Finland. Uh, Timothy Michael, Tim, Tim Spriggs. I'm yeah. just reading his whole name here. <laughs> uh, Tim Spriggs, he was at the, the Grand Prix recently. He lost to the Hulk, um, Lucas Barboza. Yeah, yeah. Which I like, killed it with the wrestling, by the way. It was a beautiful display of wrestling by Lucas. He lost to Cyborg. He was winning. He gassed out. Cyborg. By the way, Cyborg was the most conditioning person in that whole tournament. For, and I, uh, which is, I, everyone seemed to gas out but Cyborg, which, which is impressive. Which is a tough feat for a heavyweight, right? Because you're carrying so much Heavyweight, mass, yeah. how long he's been training, fighting, yeah. and the fact that this guy, you know for a fact that he's busy because he's a gym owner and team owner. Yeah. And it just adds and the stress coaching. and stuff. Yeah. Good for him, man. So props to Cyborg. Uh, Paulo Jose, I don't know who that guy is. Um, Raz Avdoyan from Germany, I don't know that guy either. Good pronunciation, though. I, I would have not done that one. <laughs> I'll do it one more time for you guys. Mraz Avdoyan. Yeah. That sounds like it's my Russian accent. The yeah. guy's German. It probably. I don't think. I don't think his name is German though. Like he's some. He's from somewhere else. But. Doesn't sound German. Man. All right, Gordon Ryan. Never heard of that guy before. <laughs> but it, he's, he's the most loved and most hated guy in jiu-jitsu at once. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, he's he's the favorite in the division. Although no, no, no. There's Vinny here. Vinny's got his number. Sorry. I was just gonna Vinny, say. Yeah, yeah, Vinny. Vinny, if 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 Gordon happens to meet Vinny before the final, like it happens before, Gordon may not even place because Gord, Vinny has Gordon's number because he doesn't get tapped before. Unless Gordon tries something different right, this time, because you know. Vinny knows that leg locks don't work. They don't work on him. First, for sure, I've tried. Like I've trained with Vinny. I'm like, what's going on here, man? Like next thing you know, and then oh, by the way, you should never try to footlock or armbar this guy because it doesn't work. So yeah. it's that's anatomy. That's not toughness, by the way. He's just like he's got like huge joints and they're very flexible. It's gift of nature, man. And he's one of my favorites just simply because he's such a good, difficult guy to grapple with, man. And he's super explosive and dangerous. So there's all that. Yeah, I think with him, like you said, it's more just a. I would think more of a cardio thing. Yeah. Sometimes he gasses out and then. Well, he, he comes up, he kind of like Dean Lister. Like Dean Lister yeah. sometimes shows up to an ADCC and just wrecks people, and then sometimes yeah. he's off. You know? Yeah, it depends. Like, every, they're not going to be the same. Um, if you don't always get the same guy, you're right. Some guys are like that. Like, yeah. they, they're on and off with their performances. Uh, ben, I know well. Um, yeah. Ben's trained with the gym with us a few times. Um, good guy, solid guy, like tall, lanky. Probably one of the least experienced ones in the whole bracket. 
I believe this is his first ADCC. Yeah. So in a very that. stacked division. So he's. Um, it's a tough. It's a tough draw for him for sure. But he is coming from now the up and coming camp there, the absolute MMA. You, know, you got I a lot of tough guys. I think this might be the most competitive division. In the whole tournament, maybe? Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at it. It's looking scary, man. Claudio Calazan's moved up 99. I know we're all over the list here. Yeah. But, yeah, so Ben, Vinny, Patrick Gaudio, who's definitely one of my top four. Patrick had a very close fight against Gordon in the Nogi Worlds. Could have gone either way. Uh, I think he's a very underrated guy. You know, he's kind of like a, not the most charismatic. Like a quiet does his thing. But if you watch him, man, he's he could win this whole thing. Like, he's definitely one of my top four. Um, very good wrestler. Very dangerous with footlocks. Well-rounded, solid camp. Like I can't. Like I'm trying to find like an Achilles heel on this right, guy. And I can't find. Yeah. He could very well win the whole thing. Uh, Luis Panza. Luis Panza. Oh, Lucas Barboza. Well, we spoke about him. The Hulk. Yeah. He's in there. Luis Panza. Super. You know, same thing. High-level competitor. Jackson Souza. Luis Panza and Jackson both from Czech. Matt, training partners. Um, Elite competitors, Paul Ardila. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I've never heard that name. He's an invite too, yeah. so that's interesting. Dylan Dan has moved from the seventy-seven kilo division to the ninety-nine kilo big division. That is a big jump up, Dylan. Yeah. Uh, known Dylan since he was a kid. Used to take pride with me way back in the day, and um, it was fun to watch him, you know, rise and did really well at the IBJJF circuit. And then now he's recently made a move towards MMA, and he's two and zero now. He's two and zero. Two and zero. So. But, uh, he's kind of spread a, a little. Love to hate, but yeah, but yeah. he, he, he yeah. wins. He's a very talented kid, but he's spread a little thin, if you ask me, with the whole, I'm going to hang out with celebrities and be like good at the same time, man. Like, I think that helps your career professionally. You probably make more money that way, but at the same time, you're dealing with guys that don't have a life. Yeah. Like, the, all they do is train and focus on these tournaments, you know? So anyone who's got distractions is at a disadvantage. Um, but he could very well surprise a lot of people. I mean, he's a very talented kid. I've had, had the opportunity to train with him a bunch, and he's very gifted. There's no doubt about that. He's got some, he's got, he's, he's an accomplished competitor. You can't take that away from him. But it's just a stacked division, man. Like, holy like cow. He would be going really heavy, too. Huh? Yeah, it doesn't, like, I'm, I don't know how heavy he is right now, but I, I'm guessing he walks around like probably 85 kilos. That'd be my guess. So he'd yeah. be cutting to make 77. 88 kilo will be his natural division. But he's in the 99 kilo one. So next one is my boy, Felipe Andrew. I love Felipe, man. He comes from the middle, like, nowhere in Brazil. It would be like the equivalent, I'm trying to think here, like as country as it can possibly get in, in the U.S. Uh, and Kavaka, who in my opinion is one of the best coaches of all time. A lot of people don't know this, but Kavaka trained Bushisha from white to black belt. Every world title Bushisha won up to he joined Checkmat was under Kavaka. Mm -hmm. And um, and he's doing the same thing for Felipe, and I think Felipe might be the next big thing. The kid is very young. He's like 22, 23. I'm not just saying this because he's on my team, but He's a very gifted kid, very good attitude, keeps quiet, trains, you know, just focus on what's important. We competed that uh, 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 submission only tournament here in Vegas a while ago. He didn't know what the rules were. Like, he like, had never heard of that. Before. What do you mean you can't score points? Like, it's like, what is this? What do you mean you can't score points? Oh, and they do a lot of leg attacks on you. Like, oh, bring it on. He's got, like, vicious footlock. So he was just, like, sliding out. He never trained heel hooks. And he was sliding out of them like they were nothing. So I think he's a huge candidate to win the division. Um, but again, this is one of the most competitive divisions in the history of ADCC, if you ask me, if not the most competitive. Yeah, because next you have Keenan Cornelius. Keenan, like fan favorite, same thing. He's another tough customer, though. He has a good game that works everywhere. He seems to have a problem going against Gordon, though. So, like, 
I think they might have a little big brother syndrome because like, yeah, they've trained it, together too much. And, maybe. Yeah. I, I think Keenan's game maybe doesn't translate too well Nogi because it's so gi dependent. I think that is a disadvantage for him. But he's so good that he. I wouldn't be surprised if if he won. Like I, I, I've always rooted for Keenan. Like I think he's like one of those guys that deserves that that big term. Like he's never won an ADCC. He's never won a world. He's been close. He's been, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. he's, he's exactly. He's like right there all the time. But just like. You know, so this would be like if if he won the whole tournament, I'd be very happy for him, and I think that'd be deserving for as good as he is. But like I said, man, this is the most difficult division. And I think it's I've ever seen this in my division, life, a lot of it's going to be in the draw. You know, yeah. like who are they getting lined up with early? Oh in? yeah, hundred percent. This bracket, Claudio Calazans, for, uh, former uh, ADCC Openweight champion. I'm surprised he's in this division because he's not that heavy. No, yeah, that's but what I was he is such a difficult guy to do anything to. Like you don't see him get tapped very often. You don't see him get points scored on him. Like, and that's his strong suit. He's like he's not the most aggressive or exciting guy, but he's kind of like that, like that Roostom guy. You know, yeah. who you do to him, you can't sweep him, you can't take him down. He's got a really good takedown defense. Granted, he's going against some really heavyweights here, so which kind of might negate his wrestling advantage. I know he has a good wrestling game. And also good wrist locks. I know. Yes, but, yeah. but like it's his wrist lock game comes from a lot of like attacks with the gi. Without, yeah. I don't know how it's going to translate. But this guy's former ADCC which You can't count him out. He may very well be, um, you know, the big name division. Who knows? You never know. All right, Dave. Should we move up? Yeah. Let's move up a weight class. Nine nine kilos. So we got Buchecha. I think fair to yeah. say number one grappler in the world. Yeah. Competing, you know, competing, I still rank Roger yeah. number one, but like I think if we're talking about those that want to active, I think it's it's always unfair with the lightweights. I always say this, but if you count overall, you have to give it to Bushesha. He does not have an open weight title. I think it's the only that's the only thing this guy has not won yet, and yeah. this may be his year. Um, Eldar Ravigaev from Moldova, also European tribe. If I had to guess, he's got a solid wrestling background, but I don't know. Yeah. Tex Johnson from Unity. We all know Tex. Yeah. Saw the competitor, Nick Rodriguez. I know that's like the, he won the trials in the US. I can't remember the big because it was a blue belt. They won the trials. Yeah, there's so many people also. Yes, yes. So it's a solid. It looks like extremely athletic with a solid wrestling background. The wrestlers always translate so easy. Yeah, he's coming like. from that same Hanzo Gracie camp on there. Yeah. I, I think with Tom DeVos and the John Downer. So I'm sure they're putting him through the systems. I know he's got a leg lock wins. He, I think he recently did the. He was in that same. It was in BJJ Fanatics team, yeah. And I, uh, I think he's won the first match by heel hook, and then the second match, it went draw. But he looked to have a very top-heavy wrestling-based game. So yeah, he his style will translate really well here. It's it's yeah. but like again, he's probably the least experienced in the whole division. Um, I don't know how well experiences in wrestling per se. Like I, I wouldn't know. But yeah. as far as like submissions tournament goes, like he's very inexperienced. Like that's definitely gonna be a disadvantage. He's going against some, you know, really, really solid, names, yeah. experienced big names here. But uh, and then we have Antonio Braganetto, who I know well. I fought him twice, former UFC fighter. He is placed in the world. Actually, won the world. I think the year after I retired, I think he won my division. I believe he won the next year. I believe two thousand. Eight, nine, he won. Like he's he's a very very tough competitor, man. Um, Mateus Juskoviak, you know who that is? No, I do not. I wouldn't know how to pronounce it either. Yeah, I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wing it. Mateus Juskoviak. 
from Poland. Probably butchering his name, but everyone from Poland is tough, by the way. The best grapplers in the world, in my opinion, come from Poland. Like, you have very, a lot of solid companies. Especially at the lower ranking. Like, the higher level, you see some good ones, yeah. right? But when it comes to blue, purple, man, they're some of the best competitors in Europe, for sure. Um, I always say it's, like, on average, better than the U.S. and Brazil. On average. Because people in the U.S. and Brazil are getting belts handed to them way too easily. In Poland, like, they're just, like, super strict on belts. Like, sometimes I, I don't see someone for two or three years. I'm like, man, you're still a purple belt. Like, <laughs> I thought you'd be a brown belt last time I was there. Two, three years go by, and they, they really hold them back like that. So they're very, they're very tough on the, um, the screening process, which is, which is good, a man. good thing, you know. And you have Yuri Simos. Yuri Simos, favorite too. Two-time yeah. UFC, uh, UFC, I keep saying that. <laughs> ADCC champion. Super tough. His wrestling has been a really the key thing in this game so and i keep guys i'm giving you guys a tip if you're listening and you love nogi and you want to win at ecc one day i'm gi we're giving you some good tips here man like this is the key to victory in the future is learning uh, i would say two, you know? two skills that we already talked about one learn how to wrestle well two learn how to take the back and attack well those are the two top ones i would I, if i would if i had to pick two things to yeah. be absolutely incredible at will be takedowns and back take. Yeah, that's all you need. Because if you take someone down at ACC, they're going to try to avoid those points. They're going to expose they're their back. They're going to turtle up. So if you know how to take that back well or just finish from there, you're set. Yeah. Man, this division is stacked to Orlando Sanchez. Again, Orlando's like the most exciting guy, Dave, but yeah. how do you beat him? Like, how do you sweep this guy? Big how do you take him down, you know? Like, he's, yeah, he's a tank of a man. Like, what do you do? That's okay. um, Cyborg... Also, former openweight champion, a favorite, coming from a yeah. huge win at the Grand Prix. He looks solid at the Grand Prix, man. I would not be surprised if he took the division. Yeah, I would say he would be my pick here. Although, that's, again, top four. Look at this guy. Look at, look at his division. That's crazy, man. Like, because he got... has faced Buchecha before, and that's how he won his absolute division. Yes. And, again, it was a cardio win. Right? Yeah, he's no, he's got a really good yeah, gas Because Buchecha started gassing. Yeah. Because they Which faced never happens. Yeah, because yeah, he faced him in the... In the heavyweight division, Buchecha beat him. Yeah. So it was like a rematch in the absolute. And, and then, then Cyborg beat him. Yeah, because again, cardio. So like Cyborg's cardio is exceptionally well. And Jared Dopp, super solid guy too. Good wrestler. A lot of good wrestlers division. I mean, it's a heavyweight division. You can expect it. João Gabriel Rocha, uh, one of my definitely top four. He's, um, he's an animal. I don't like I was watching the Grand Prix. He's got very good defensive wrestling. His offensive wrestling is not as good as his counter wrestling. Like, he's the kind of guy you don't want to shoot on, but if you don't shoot on him, like, not much else happens. Yeah. You know, like, his, his match is, like, really... Oh, I know. I faced him in the last ACCA did in the absolute division. And I was like, Jesus, this guy's like a giant. He's a monster. Yeah, no, he makes me <laughs> he look short. He clubbed my head once and it threw me, like, halfway No, he's just a big room. dude, yeah. And I was like, good God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kainan Duarte, too light for that division, if you ask me, but a very solid guy. Antonio Carlos Jr., Carat Zapato, solid guy, also in the UFC. Yeah. Vitor Hugo was in the Grand Prix. He lost to Cyborg. A little inexperienced, in my opinion, but like a, a huge prospect. Just got promoted to black belt. Like, I guess like 20 years old, something like that. Huge. Like one of the heavier guys in the division. Yeah. Then we have Muhammad Ali, always a big name, former IBJF world champion, always a huge prospect in the division. Yeah. John Hansen, I feel like I know that name. I'm trying to put a face to him. Um, don't know. So right. this is, a, again, very competitive, like you said, division. A lot of champions in here between Orlando Sanchez, Yuri Simos, Robert Cyborg, uh, Buchecha. 
That's four champions. Yeah, man, that's that's tough. That's, so like, that's I won't say it's as competitive yeah. as the the one below, but this is one of the most competitive divisions I've ever this, seen. I think this has the most champions of any division, though. It's true. So I would say probably those four champs are would be my top four. Um, okay, so let's move on to the the women's division now. The women's division, you guys know, there's only two of them, and they have less. Um, eight, competitors, so it's eight per division. So they, they went three fights to win the whole tournament. I'm more familiar with the lighter one, Bia Mesquita, one of the most accomplished female grapplers of all time. She's won a number of world titles. Yeah, yeah. Gina Bishop was talking to her, her husband at the, the last Grand Prix. We were commentating together. And he was talking a little bit about her preparation. She won the North American Trials. Francieli Nascimento Santos. I don't know who that is. Unless I see her. Sometimes they, Brazilians refer to her as like a, by, by her nickname. And then if I see her, I may know who she is. Livia Gluchovska. I believe that's, oh, that's a, a Lachlan's girlfriend. Yeah, I know her. Yeah, that's right. Wife, yeah, so yeah but she actually she was born in Poland, but she grew up in Australia. But she's competed for Poland. That's how she actually won the European trials. I'm not sure why she didn't do the Australian ones. I'm sure there's a reason. But uh, she actually trains out of Melbourne with those guys. Rikako Yuasa, Japan. I know Rikako. She, I've seen her compete in the Gi. Can't put a face to her. I know Bianca Basilio well. She's yeah. very solid. Might wouldn't be surprised. Took the whole division. Um, Vera Karpinen. I actually did a seminar at their gym. Okay. Uh, she had a really good performance in 2017. Yeah. And I think she nearly lost to Mackenzie Dern. But it was like Close. she made like one tactical mistake that she could have ended up winning the match yeah. with. But a uh, really close matchup, and uh, you know she's one of the girls. She's uh, their team is associated with Ten Planet. They're a Ten Planet. Team, okay. She's. I think she has a good shot at, at winning this based off her last performance because she's savvy, all around, good leg locks. Good a lot attacks. of a lot of European women I'm noticing, like foreign women, like this division has like very few American and Brazilians. But normally the two most Dominant. Yeah, and, yeah. and in the male division. But in the women's division, you see a lot of a bigger variety. Uh, I doubt you to pronounce her last name, the next one. How do you say that? Fion. It's got two Fs. It's got it's to be a typo. No, no, that, that's her name. That's her name? Fion? No, two Fs? Fion Davies. Okay, yeah. Davies. Okay, all right. All right. From I, I just saw, she's been like on fighting in, I think, with Polaris and a couple of these other pro events, and she's been winning her matchups. So. I'm going to go with Bia Mesquita for this division, though. That's going to be my favorite. I think she's the most experienced and probably the one with best shot at winning the whole thing here. That would be my, my, my yeah. number one pick here. How about you, Dave? She definitely has the experience. She's done it before, so she would, of course, have to be the favorite. I'll also throw in uh, Elvira in there because she had a really good performance last time around, too. Okay. So in between Elvira and, uh, and B over here on the Breaking the Guard podcast, let's get to our final division here, Dave. Gabby Garcia, like, I think everyone, like, oh, God, I'm going to win. She's too big. But I know, like, some of these other girls are really big, too, man. Like, Tayani Porfirio, she's huge. I've seen her. Yeah. But you know, it's like Gabby's just a. What do you do? What do you do? She's a juggernaut, you know? She is a juggernaut yeah. of the division, man. And Tayani's big, but not as athletic as Gabby. Yeah. Nacelli's super technical. Anna Carolina is one of my favorite, you know, yeah, but like women this, watch. But, but dwarf inside. She's like, yeah, yeah, she's like the, by far the, I'm going to guess, is the smallest one in the division. I don't know some of these other competitors, like Amanda Levy, I don't know. 
Karina Sanchez, I don't know. Stephanie Egger, I don't know. Jessica da Silva, I don't know. Jessica, the name rings a bell. Maybe I know. I think I've seen her before. But, you, you know, I think Gabby. You agree, I Dave? I think Gabby yeah. by just sheer size. You know, just, you're, you're talking about like at least 50 to 60 pounds. No, I think not she. Uh, Tayani is bigger than her. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah, but Tayani is just like wide big, not muscular big. And then not, so, not to try to discredit Gabby at all. Because she's, absolutely she's not. also very technical as well. But she's got the technique and the size and the experience. She's yeah. got everything on her side. And yeah. stupid athletic. Um, yeah, uh, Gabby is... Um, they're not taking her off the throne anytime soon. I don't think. How do you? I don't know, man. You can put it with the dudes. No, look, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to face Gabby. <laughs> I tried with her once. She's a street girl. Like, um, she's a really, I, I feel I, honestly, man. Like, there's a lot of like she gets so much hate. I never hate on her. I actually I admire her because I'll tell you why. I remember when she was a blue purple belt back in the day in Sao Paulo. She was that big. She was bigger. Yeah. I was like, oh, she's on steroids. No, she was bigger before. She's lean now compared to how she was. She was that same size, but she had just like fat, like all over the place, right? And she would literally smash girls in the open. She'd walk in the open, like, and just destroy everyone. And the I'd, I'd remember, I have memories of this. The entire arena would be booing her, and she like like she'd be crying. And I would find her crying in the stands. I'm like, that's so sad because like it's not her fault. Like, yeah. She's big. What are you gonna do? What do you yeah. want to do? Play like what do you want to do? Like go be like a ballerina? No, like are, she's gonna fight, yeah, and she's the best in the world. And people are hating on her because she's big. It's like guys, she's winning. Like stop giving her a hard time, man. And people would literally be booing her, Dave. It was embarrassing. I hated that. Oh, no, and you see all the hate people give her online. Like people are dicks. You know what Total I mean? dicks, man. Like what? What would you want her to do? She's born. She's huge. Like what are you gonna do? It's a, and she's in the heavyweight division. You know, like it's in her division. What are you yeah. gonna do? Why are you hating on her? Oh, she's on roids. She wasn't before, and you guys were still hating on her. It didn't make a difference. You know, yeah. I mean, allegedly. <laughs> That's what people accuse of. Yeah, right? yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't That's know. The thing. I, you can't say like if you unless you've seen the positive tests or you don't, you've yeah, seen someone and, injecting her or something like that. And, you can't and, say and anything. And that's and people are always are rationalizing a hate that was already there. People hate on her way before the accusations. Yeah. So that's not the real reason. The real reason people hate on her is because she wins because she's big. What would you have her do? Go critic. Go hate her. What would you want her to do? Not train jiu-jitsu? Not compete? She's winning. So I, I have a soft place in my heart for, for, for Gabby for that reason, man. Like, I, I admire her because a lot of people would have quit in her shoes. Which is not a hate she's got. You know, she didn't. You know, especially as a woman and, like, everybody, like, taunting her and making fun of her and this and that. Like, you know, that's, that's hard, you know? You know, that's not easy. I think it's something more difficult for her, especially with all the pressure of the media and, you know, Society puts a yeah. woman to look a certain way, yeah. and she's not, you know. No, and she pushed know. through it, man. And, she, and she's still out there doing it, you know. So, like you said, God bless her. And that she's I, the best know. in the world at what she does, man. Kudos, you know. Yeah. Like we should be applauding her. Like she made the most out of it, you know. She, she had a million reasons to like, I'm not going to expose myself, and there she has exposed herself. That's hard, man. That's right. hard. Like that takes thick skin. Not everyone's meant for that. No, like I know, I don't, I don't like. I wouldn't like it. I don't. I don't think I have thick skin like that. I would, I'd hate it in her shoes, you know. But, you know, she toughed it out, and so I'm actually rooting for her. Yeah, well, yeah. I think, like I said, she probably doesn't need much of our support. She could doesn't need it. She does not care. No win regardless. Um, <laughs> last, we're left with a super fight, Dave. That's the last one to talk about. Yeah. We have current super fight champion versus current open weight champion. Andrew uh, Gavau. And Felipe Pena. Felipe Pena. And 
Uh, I think Andre Gavao is the longest reigning absolute champion in it, UFC. It's history. Is it one like three it super fights history. now? I just said UFC also. You got me. I got it. <laughs> Better go to sport, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I think uh, Andrew probably has the tools to do everything, you know, because he's, he's just good everywhere. You know? uh, Andre was just here. Uh, we could go. He was here for the Masters Worlds, and he, he trained at the gym. I didn't train with him, and him and Joshua Hafi trained with him. And um, yeah, the Hafi, I, I saw some of his training with Hafi. They were going at it, man. It was Harry uh, Hinger, um, Andre, Jonathan Gracie. And there's someone else with them, Bruno Frazato. They're all training, and Hafi was in there going to war with them. And it, it was fun to watch. And you can see, I, I admire Andre for, I don't think I've ever met someone that likes to compete as much as Andre. Like, I never liked to compete, Dave. I forced myself to compete because mm -hmm. it was hard. I wanted to do it because every cell in my body told me not to do it. I'm like, screw this, I'm going to do it. You know, and like, it was difficult. It was like, but like, Andre loves to compete. He loves to compete. He says it's his last fight. I asked him, this is your last fight? He said, Yes, it's my last fight. I guarantee you it's not. You want to bet money on that? He's going to come back. I, he likes to compete too much. Um, I admire him for being at the top for so long. That's and, tough. And in his case, I honestly believe it's more, it has to do with his resilience and more than anything. Because I've met guys that are more talented than him. I've trained with him a ton in Brazil. But he's a very, like, like a very determined individual. And I, I really admire that. But he's up against Felipe Pena who is no younger, joke, man. Like younger uh, yeah, probably a lot less injuries, less to worry about, uh, more focused. I would say overall probably more technical than Andre. And I think that the age might have something to do with that. But Andre's a better wrestler, if you yes. ask me. And if this comes down to a wrestling match, I think that Andre might have, he might, he might retire from ADCC with a crown, man, which would be incredible. Yeah. yeah, and that's where I'm seeing, again, we've talked about how important that takedown game is. is, you know, and especially when we're doing like a, it's a forty-minute match for them, isn't it, or twenty? Or I think it's twenty, 20. and then they get the overtimes. And then yeah, ten minutes. Yeah. But so. if they if he gets into exchanges and scrambles with Felipe, I think Felipe will take his back. I think if he gets decides to like get into a burning bolo game with Felipe, he's not going to win. He will be at a disadvantage. I think Andre's key to victory here is wrestling. Yeah. He has to keep it in the wrestling realm. That's where he has the best shot. And I think that's Felipe's Achilles heel, if anything. That's where he's weakest, because Felipe's very dominant, top and bottom, back takes, submission, everything. We've seen him get out of heel hooks, like, you know, Gordon had him deep in that honey hole. Remember? Yeah. He got out twice. Like, he's a difficult guy to put away. But I think if I had to pick, like, where would you want to fight Felipe Pena if you were to fight him? Like, I think the best place to beat him would be wrestling. Yeah. I think not that he's not, he's not bad, but it's, it will be his the weakest aspect of his game, and I think Andre knows this. So, be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I, I think that's probably going to be the big determining advantage there. It's just going to be that wrestling game. Galvao just has a really strong wrestling game. That good last double legs and just a lot of forward pressure. He's not going to gas at any moment. You know, so when you when someone's running a wrestling game on you and you're the receiving end of it, you're getting tired. I think Andre's strategy for this fight might be to push, kind of like your stride with Shanji. Yeah. Push deep waters. And I think, you're right, because he's got really good cardio. Andre's condition's always been very good. Although, Philly, I don't think I've ever seen Felipe Gas now that I think about it. Maybe once. The world's like last year, he looked a little, little, little tired. Um, but I think that would be the best strategy for Andre. I think that's what he's going to try to do, is push his fight for as long as it could possibly go. He's faced a lot of dangerous submission guys recently. I mean, he fought Bradley with Steeman when he rematched him, and he just pressured him.
wrestling can't, him, back, I, back, back. And, yeah. I, and I, I've trained with Andre a lot in Brazil. I, I can say this, but you don't want to let Andre free. He's one of those guys you got to let. No, no, stay right here. Because like, if you let him, he's like the Tasmanian devil. Like He's the kind of guy you want to grab and keep him right in front of you the whole time. Like You don't want to let him do this right here because he's very articulate. But so is Felipe. You know, Andre, Andre scrambles where he moves well, but I think Preguisa, Pena, is like uh, probably even better than Andre there, man. So if, it, if they make it dynamic, it would be fun to watch. Yeah, and just from our last interview with Felipe, yeah. how he just kind of impromptu came up with that roll off the honey hole escape, that's insane. It's insane, man. <laughs> I'm still like, I'm watching, I can barely do it, man. And then this guy's like coming up with it on the spot. It's like, oh, just... It, it tells me so much about how we learn jiu-jitsu. We learn jiu-jitsu by a lot of times just following our instincts and improvising, man. It's not like I'm going to go to bed and think about a move, and I think that's like doomed to fail. Most of our the true knowledge we acquire through our journeys is through experience, man. I think that uh, Felipe pulled it off when he really that, – that, that escape out of nowhere was, to me, one of the most amazing – yeah, no. transitions that I've ever seen in all of jiu-jitsu, man. It was Especially absolutely someone as beautiful. dangerous as Gordon from that In position. his position. Yeah. That's his position, too. So, kudos. Right. Um, you want to recap this real quick? So, if you just skipped... <laughs> it's a lot. It's a long podcast. But there's no way out of it, man. Like, we wanted to make sure we talked about everyone as yeah. best we could. And we know some of the competitors better than others. But we wouldn't think it would be fair to only talk about, like, the, 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 the favorites. So, we try to be... You got everybody in there that we know yeah. of, you know. Uh, so I think 66 kilo division. We said the top four: uh, Augusto Mendez. Uh, who did you? Who else? Did you said Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill. I think I said Bruno Frazato. Frazato. And then our number four. I don't think we put a number four. Let me see. We'll pull one right now. Go ahead, pick one. You know, I'll go with some young blood. Uh, I'll go with Kennedy Masiari. Kennedy. I, Kenny, I don't know Johnny Grip, but one of those two. We'll put oh, him in a, we'll, we'll, a tie with between Kennedy and Johnny. Oh, I forgot about Johnny. Yeah. Well, let's say Johnny because he's got the yeah. experience, you know. Okay, uh, who else? So many good guys in this division. Man. Seventy-seven yeah. kilos. JT. JT for sure. Uh, uh, I think we said uh, Lepri. Lepri. Rocha. Yep. And I'm gonna go with Najimi. Last, I don't know if you have a different opinion on this one, but like I go, that'll be my four. Yeah. That's a solid four. I, yeah, I, I I have a soft spot in my heart for DJ because I've trained so much with him. Yeah, with him. I know. And I know he if he executed right, he could pull it off. Yeah, but uh, stack division, man. It's a stack division. I will say the eighty-eight kilo one is the least stacked. Not that it's not stacked, but it's the least stacked. It's the most open because, like you said, yes. there's no cha- there's no champion yeah. or second place. Uh, person in here. So here we or, had no, Josh, yeah. Craig, Gilbert, yeah. and who else did we pick? Um, I think we picked those three. I would say for a four, maybe Mateus. Yeah. Mateus, maybe Gabriel Argis. Could be Kit too. There's a lot of good people in there. Adam, I, I, I've trained with Adam, man. He's legit. I know how good he is. So any of those guys would be top four. I'm going to go 99 kilo. Go, Dave. Uh, Gordon Ryan, Vinny, I think Barbosa, and the fourth one is a trickier pick here. I don't know. With uh, I'll lean towards Keenan. He's okay. been there before. He's 
place twice. I'm so. gonna okay. I'm gonna have different pick here for yeah. my division. Call me biased if you want, but I'm gonna put throw Philippe Andrew in there because sure. I know uh, what it. he can do. Uh, Patrick Gaudio, Vinny, and the most annoying guy in all of grappling, <laughs> Gordon Ryan. I actually like him. I don't dislike. I actually think he's phenomenal. He just talks way too much. Um, he's not. He's not my cup of tea either, bro. You can't deny. How okay, skilled I, he is. Let's yeah. let's let's separate the skill from the persona. Let's just do like you can admire one and not admire the yeah. other. Right? Um, all right, the ninety nine kilo division. Marcus Buchecha. Who would not put him in the top four? So yeah. we can almost skip that one. Yuri. Yeah. Cyborg. Yep. Yeah. Agree. I agree with those three. Who's the next I, one? I think. Well, it would be between Joao or Orlando. I think. João, João Gabriel Rocha, or the other one? What's the other one? Orlando Sanchez. Or Orlando, I agree. Again, it just depends on the draw, you know. Like oh, man, Orlando. I think I, out of all these guys, the one I'd be least inclined to want to fight is. Orlando. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like, what I, I, I kick off the game plan. <laughs> I remember seeing um, in 2017, Tom DeLoss yeah, yeah. was against Big O. Yeah. And just pictures of him where he's like. I don't know what to do. Okay, every single one of these guys, I can come up with a game plan that I would maybe lose, but I know the game plan was right. Against Orlando, I have a hard time coming up with a game plan because I don't know what to do. What do you do? Like, you can't take them down. You can't sweep them. You just will hope to win a decision. Yeah. You know? It's, it's a really, <laughs> again, another juggernaut yeah, division where absolutely. Like you need something magical to happen. To, to um, Dave, that was, uh, that was okay, we had the women still. So women, we agreed on Bia. Do we yeah. agree on Bia? I'll say Bia and I'll say Elvira. We'll, we'll go with two. Okay, and then we're Elvira, that's right. There was Elvira. Yeah. And then the above 60 kilo. Gabby. Gabby. And, and I I, guess, if I had to pick another one, it would be Nacielli. But um, yeah. what do you think? I don't know if you got anyone else you know. Uh, I don't know, Nacielli. Uh, I'll say Anna Carolina Vieira. I, 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 she's my, yeah. she's my yeah. favorite one, yeah. but like I just can't see her out wrestling these big girls, man. Like I, it's gonna be too difficult. Yeah. You know, unless she had like Olympic caliber wrestling. Yeah, no, like, Mackenzie Dern pulled it off, right? And she uh, did, when she, she in, the, in the gi, she beat uh, Gabby. That's right. No, and then in the ACC, I think she also beat. I know she beat her in the gi at, the, at Abu Dhabi Pro. Maybe, I did not see the ACC, but be... I, I believe in the absolute division, she she had one. Got a back take. Oh, there we go. Okay, Andre Galvão and Felipe Pano. I'm leaving Galvão. It would be like 49-51 kind yeah. of lean, man. Like, it could go either way. Like, uh, I'm going with maybe Philly just because he's younger and hungrier. Uh, but Galvão has the edge on the experience and the wrestling. And I feel like decisions, whenever it's up to decision... The referees, the judges, they lean towards the current champion. Yeah, there's a, that lean. I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure, I feel so. Especially, I don't think that lean is fair, if you ask me. But I think that he might win if it goes to decision like that. Especially you know? if he's going to be putting a wrestling game. He's more undoubtedly going to be more, more aggressive complete. on yes. top, so it's going to look better. So let's see what happens. We got two weeks to go. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode. This is episode six. It will not be the last. We got many more to go. Or we should have some special guests here coming soon. And uh, by the way, if you would like to shoot us some suggestions for different topics for us to talk about, me and Dave, it's a very flowy kind of you know podcast. We don't yeah. stick to one topic or the other, go on tangents all the time, and it's you know it's very organic. So if you guys got suggestions, you would like to hear more about this or more about that, any kind of like constructive criticism too, you know, you guys can find me and Dave on, David uh, uh, Avalon on Instagram. 
I'm not very active on Facebook. Don't write me there. I can only manage handle like one social media, man. It's like a part time job. I, I have friends of mine that are like on all platforms, four hours a day, man. I can't do it. But uh, yeah, message. You know, we yeah, you can, some, uh, you can shoot us a message there again. We can see our handles here. Follow uh, or the account Breaking yeah. the Guard on Instagram, Facebook, uh, our YouTube channel, and uh, spread the word. If you can share this with your friends, we'd really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Till next time. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. I know this is a long one, but uh, me and Rob felt that we had to be fair to all the competitors that we knew and discuss all the the pros and cons of each of them and their odds to win. So I hope you did enjoy it. And again, if you haven't subscribed already, please make sure to do so. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube. You can check out all the links to subscribe to whichever platform that you want on our website, which is breakingtheguard.com. Again, that's breakingtheguard.com. And we're also on social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can just find us, again, Breaking the Guard is our screen name. On Twitter, it's just Breaking Guard uh, if you want to join us on Twitter. A final word from our sponsors. Uh, our sponsor for the end of the show is the Drysdale Cradle Series. Uh, Robert Drysdale came up with this system of using the cradle, which is a wrestling pin that's often used in collegiate and folk style wrestling. But he's adapted it in such a way that he made it work for passing guard, particularly working against half guard and Z guard, which I know a lot of people have problems working against a Z guard. And uh, Robert's Cradle Series works excellent for counter to it and not only can you pass the the guard that way you can also transition to submissions like the guillotine choke and of course robert's famous bravo or darce choke transitions nicely from there and i've also added some uh techniques into this course as well on the online portion so uh, we kind of rounded out a little bit with some of the ways i used uh, the cradle in mma and jiu-jitsu again it's a very innovative approach uh, and I think more and more you'll see people using wrestling positions like the cradle, right? particularly pinning positions to advance in MMA and jiu-jitsu. So go ahead, visit the website, which is bjjcradle.com. Again, that's bravojulietjulietcradle.com.